0: Good morning, Internet. Welcome to the Saturday Morning Chill Mad Christianity coming your way. He is risen. You are paid for. You are immortal now. He won't be long anyway. The water sealed it. The food feeds it. This is Christianity. You should join us. I'm Reverend Jonathan Fisk, and with Shadows on My Faces, we're going to be looking at your questions, God's answers, getting into the Scripture, talking about the world. Should we even mention... That the news cycle cared about a fly. Should we even? Should we even? I don't think we should. I think we get into more substantial stuff than that. We can talk about some talk them into it. Uh, we got Proverbs coming your way, something I've been pushing with Sons of Solomon. We should probably talk about Sons of Solomon a little bit more by the end of the hour as we've had requests on only four. Uh, well, how do we get in touch with you guys to become part of this, but then if I'm a lady, what does that mean for me? So m- maybe we'll look at that again by the end of the hour, but first we're going to get into your stuff uh, right away. Um, oh, I just realized something though. Bummer. So, uh, I would like to continue working through the text of the book together a little bit every week, but as you have pointed out, making use of this camera without an arm to look down is just not really working. So, uh began the hunt for the arm. I didn't get any information from you guys this week about whether or not, or, you know, where I could find an arm. So, I went looking on my own, uh, did that first toe in the water of that, but goodness gracious. So anyway, we are going to look at text today, though. We're going to look at Proverbs specifically. We have some graphics to show that. We're also going to go look at it via uh, Bible Gateway as well. So I guess we should probably just jump right into that kind of world this morning uh, rather than wander around too much in in my head. Um, I'm sure it'll come out <laughs> as we go forward. This is a question that was in my uh, my inner circles this week as well, and it's one that always is going to come up and around. Because if you're going to talk about, say, the defense of philosophy, apologetics, believing that there's a way that is true and a way that is wrong, and that when the way that is wrong attacks, you must defend it, right? Um, This question comes up in that conversation a lot. Uh, I've come to believe that Christians maybe apologize too much, um, not by saying we're sorry, but by defending our faith too much, and maybe uh, we—what's the right word?—we offend too little. Uh, rather than rather than play defense, I don't think we play offense enough. But understanding this question is part of how you can have a good offense. I mean, if you understand the problem of evil, uh, then you know what's really going on. And for those who are bothered by the problem of evil, they're lost in a real... I'd even call it crazy world, kind of madhouse. Uh, and uh, so let's see, we'll see how much of that comes out in the question. But the problem of evil is something that's hard not to get um, tied up in, generally in one way, shape, or form. And you can also see in the question how the language of the current moment, Black Lives Matter, that kind of thing, um, racial oppression, all that—that uh, that, that language is being used as cover for what is a long, long asked question. I mean, this isn't new to ask this question. You're not clever if you figure this question out. Humans who live before you have been asking this question for a long time. So we have a friend who was raised Christian and who considered themselves a Christian who is questioning their faith in the midst of all the injustice and oppression happening. Which, again, I mean, this is like, according to who? CNN? I mean, just just in case you're curious human oppression and injustice has been on the down for the last like 200 years. Like We're on the slope down and we can make it go up by saying there's some here, so let's create more, which seems to be the tenor I'm hearing from a lot of people. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the fact is that the injustice and oppression has lessened in the last 100 years at least. That doesn't mean we don't have a long way to go. It's not as if the promise is fulfilled. I mean, I think MLK Jr. was pretty right when he talked about how the idea doesn't have to be completed for it to be something we all pursue together. In any case, Case. nonetheless no matter whether you're going to use the language of of communist marxist movements you you know manipulating your television to get you to do what they want like oppression and injustice languages is, is happening now critical race theory that's also connected to social gospel stuff which is basically critical race versions of stuff in christian guys format yeah so if you're going to buy into that, that that's really going on So, like, oh my goodness it's so bad it's so much worse than it's ever been like hitler's about to show up again um well, okay, that's just your version of the world's filled with evil, right? So, so take a step back from your personal crazy, and recognize that the person who's like, if we don't vote for Trump, then uh, I'm, I'm gonna say it this way: the person who made the meme that was like coronavirus ran into Trump, and now Trump beat it, and we're gonna make from his blood serum some sort of like universal answer because he's such a superhuman, right? The messianic tenor of that kind of language, um, that person who's speaking that way, laughing that way, thinking that way, they also think there's evil in the world. They've just got a completely different narrative as to where, say, the oppression or the injustice or the wrong might be. But the fact is, no matter who you are and what narrative you've decided to listen to because you didn't make it up yourself, someone told it to you, <laughs> uh, whichever, whichever tribe you've aligned with, the fact is that you're going to see all of this oppression and injustice in some form because you're going to see something you call evil like it's it's not good now the first thing to say is if this person's not a christian is is okay why do you think there is such a thing as good and evil and you can distinguish between them without having a god or a higher power that's smarter than your little blob mass of evolved monkey uh, that can tell you what good and evil is because all that little blob monkey can do is eat and procreate and die, right? So so how wise can you really be? Um, And so if you're going to walk around saying this is good, this is bad, uh, yeah, sure, like global mass or say tribal or uh, you say published work of knowledge and science, in theory, this is something that would be really good and we could build over centuries a, a, a vast amount of known, known, like libraries that we don't burn down in the name of stuff, right? <laughs> um, but I think that uh, without the belief in some form of higher good or reality, the writing itself ends up falling apart. And we see that happening now where all the different narratives are at war with each other and, and just uh, creating a Babel-like confusion and amplifying of disbelief in, in science itself and the accusation that there are science deniers only creates them. Uh, so it, it's just a madhouse out there of, again, what I would call from my perspective now, evil. <laughs> uh, so, But I'm going to run it through the Christian narrative, which is that the curse of Babel, the, the misconception. This communication of pagan man to pagan man on and on forever and ever in a cycle of death and doom and darkness has been going on for a long time and we shouldn't be surprised to see a civilization that rejected the solidarity of the scriptures at the very least as a form of natural law by which they could build their engagement of brother with brother into a commerce that benefited all and when you rejected the actual book like you don't can't you can't have the language last very long so now what we have is a sloganeering reality of just a attacking versions of this is the better product, religion, uh, spirituality, trust, reality, thing that will make you happy, God to worship, and that's being shouted at you. Um, Thank God you're watching this show or listening to some other Christian thing, so someone's shouting some Christianity at you. But what's happening is a programming impact of social media and – Uh, cable TV slash movies slash Netflix, on and on and on, the amount of information that's coming at you, it's it's programming you into these various narratives in which you believe there's a solution to the oppression and the injustice that's here on earth right now that you can get to. And that's part of the problem, right? You know, I, I don't know if I can believe in God because if I can't find a solution to the evil right now, then God must not be here. That's the problem the Christian conscience is coming to because the person has never reckoned with. The words of God would say that things are going to go on as they have from the beginning until the end. It's not going to get better. And the big problem is evil, which is in the heart of men. And, and aside from some sort of like divine intervention that would lead men to not look inward, but instead to look outward, whether by a curbing rule of law, like a cyanitic stone law that keeps a corporate body, like a nation, going in a direction for a while with some like not killing each other realities going on because of the sword and protection, whether it's via that, or whether it's by the inspiration of some sort of holy ghost, uh, the, the the possession by a spirit uh, that might come upon you so that you would look out and not in because of what Christ has done, and you would believe then you're paid for, you're immortal, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, One way or the other, the evil has to be called what it is. And the question then becomes, when you get there, is it a problem or not? Right. So the problem of evil is, how can there be evil if God exists? How can there be evil if God exists? So you run into a world that's not the way you want it to, to be. You Evolved monkey person, I don't believe that. But, but you know, you run into a world that's not the way you think it should be, and that you think there is a higher power that knows all things, and you look at him and you say, "Why is it like this? You must be wrong or not exist." It's awful, um, presumptuous. I think you know, limited flat perspective to the mountaintop of space time history. <laughs> right for for one who says you believe in a god, you don't give him much credit, right? If if it's going to be as simple as I saw some injustice and oppression rising in the world, I mean, did, have you studied World War II? Do you know what happened? Dear God, what happened to that planet? The planet in that in that time, that planet. As if I'm not here, I, I might not be. Where is a basement in Cambodia? After all, so so we are struggling then to help you, Ryan and and your uh, wife. I'm assuming uh, we keep them in our prayers. Good. Do you pray the Psalter specifically for them? Uh, have you joined Sons of Solomon in praying uh, the Psalter in specific every day, particularly zooming in every morning on Psalm 125 and how your life is being made a pillar of, of safety and righteousness through Jesus' gift to you of well, himself and what he's made you to be and that that expands around you so that, well, like the mountaintop of Zion, you cannot be moved in your conviction and your heart. And your knowledge of who Jesus is, right? So so pray that stuff, those psalms, for people, <laughs> right? Uh, it's it's kind of powerful stuff. I don't want to call it magic because, uh, well, you should go listen to a Brief History of Power with me and Kuntz. Uh, I think it was the one this week or two weeks ago. We talked about how magic as a word really does have a demonic base, and you want to be a little careful uh, with that idea, you know, visiting the magic kingdom and whatnot. But It's not so much that the Psalms are are magic as that they are supernatural. And, And, you know, there's an unseen reality named Jesus Christ who wrote them for himself as the ultimate prayer book of his own sacrifice on your behalf, and he's invited you to pray them with him for you, and to pray them with him for you and those around you. It's kind of sweet, right? And so it's like, wow, you can run it through the magic-like imagery, like you're a wizard, you got a spell book, but oh, I'm, I'm too bored, I'm gonna watch TV today. Like, that'll change the world, right? So <laughs> um, you're struggling with this. You're trying to figure out now how to do this. You're praying. I'm encouraging you pray with the Psalms. Right, do it specifically. Get into the Sons of Solomon. Pray those psalms for your family and your world every single day. Um, and then again, we keep her in her prayers, especially the timely book. My timely book. Talk them into it. Thank you for saying that. Um, and all the guidance on how to handle someone who doesn't believe. Yes. Um, thank you. Uh, it, it, the book is not one I, I've gotten another review from it, and so I'm like I'm like struggling with like, okay, if you're looking at this book to do what Echo did right? Then you're going to get a, a, the wrong book. It doesn't do what Echo did. Echo did what Echo did. Um, it's a different kind of thing. This book is meant to be chewed on so slowly. And and I, I even had trouble with my own stuff this morning. The, the opening segment I wanted to look at today, we'll do it this way here, right? Uh. Nobody wins more people for Jesus by trying harder. That's just such an important thing. Like, you really don't need to go much further than that for like five minutes of reading. Like, you should just read that part and just ponder. And then, because what I did was I tried to go fast when I was reading this morning to review it. And I'm like, well, this, the sentences didn't line up. Wait a minute. It jumped too fast. What's going on? And I slowed down. I started to ponder each sentence as if it was like I was supposed to read that sentence and then wait for three minutes, right, and then read on. And suddenly there was there was just so much more there, which I knew that. I knew I wrote a devotional book. <laughs> I, just, I just don't believe myself enough. So when someone criticizes the writing, I, I take it um, to heart too much, I suppose. But – so let's look at this just for a second here. You know, Nobody wins more people for Jesus by trying harder. This is right where you're at right now, right? If you're asking about the problem of evil, but this is where you actually are, is how do I try harder to get this person to believe, right? Um, just since That happens to be the one for today. Um, and so we'll ponder this first. Words travel one mind at a time. So what does that mean? Well, take it back to what I was saying about the Psalms. If you're going to be someone who brings someone to Christ, then you must be bringing them to the Christ that you have. And yes, you have Christ promised to you in Word and Sacrament on Sunday. But the third commandment, and Lutheran pretty clearly, um, is not about Sunday. <laughs> it's, it's actually about every day being sanctified by the Word. And so, and prayer, and the Word of God being your prayer. And I I think that, like, the straight bible in your read through stuff, valuable sometimes, but not the best, like, tactic. That's like the assembly line version of Bible reading, right? Like, you're going to get the most chopped-up, boxed Bible you could possibly get out of that approach, as opposed to slowing down and pondering, slowing down and getting into something, recognizing that because ideas have to travel into your mind and be there for a while, and then they'll start to come out, then you, if you really want to talk about Jesus, you have to ponder talking about Jesus or ponder Jesus at least, <laughs> you know, for some time. It's not like you go to a baseball game and you come out talking stats the first time, right? It takes a while for that to build up, uh, and so discipleship discipline is is involving your body, your mind, your mouth in believing. That enough to study and talk about it. And, and frankly, it's not that bad. It's not like you have to go to the library and put your nose into a Greek dictionary, although you might because you might be so stunned by what you find in its application to the cosmic core reality we actually live in uh, that you're like, wow, I want to know what that really meant in the ancient Ugaritic, right? Because <laughs> it, it matters. It matters. So, so it begins to change the more real it becomes. But it becomes more real when these words don't just come through you as slogans, but become identities and brands when the brand is not mad Christianity, but Catholic Christianity, which means believing what all Christians have always believed always. And frankly, I think we can get that list down. I think we got that list in the Confession, but I think we can get that list down. And I think authentic believing Christians at this time in history could actually come together around it. And the sticking point would be the scriptures. Yeah, it would. It would. And, for, and for some, it would be the office, office of the ministry, but we could have a conversation. I mean, and we really could. In any case, that only happens when, even like what I just said, the Augsburg Confession doesn't just become a, a thing, but is an idea that is now part of your framework of thinking. And that's not going to happen from one read-through. It's going to happen from a couple. Right? Uh, and so you know, do you need that? Not necessarily right now. I'm saying you go to the Psalms, right? Uh, if you're a pastor and you haven't done this with the Augsburg Confession, well, you know, <sighs> and you hope for unity in the church someday? What are you doing, man? You know? uh, so just, just saying, start now. So like, where does start now come from in this, right? Where's travel one mind at a time, start now. Well, see, that's just it. If we didn't ponder that for a moment, start now wouldn't make any sense here. But now it does. Where do you need to start? Where do you need to start knowing you're not going to win people for Jesus for trying harder? Your mind is the one that must convert first. Start now. Yeah. Um, it won't be complex, but neither will it be trivial. I'm just going to skip that paragraph because you can't see it. This will be simple, but it will not be easy. Would you want a, like a... um. I don't know. I don't know. I never played on a team that went 25-0 and 0 and crushed everybody by 40 points every game. I played on teams that did real well but then lost when it actually mattered, mostly, which only led to regret. <laughs> uh, but uh, I'm not sure I would have enjoyed playing on a team that crushed everybody every time because there's something about the potential to lose that makes it worth playing why god mode is only enjoyable by 11 year old boys on video games you know what god mode is where you push a button and suddenly no one can kill you you have infinite ammo and you kill everything you can beat the game without even trying it was so awesome man There's nothing awesome about that is boring you're on rails you're being led by the nose like a rat through a cage without even getting the advantage of getting faster at something better at something seeing and being right all you're doing is learn how to like not dodge so <laughs> so I, with that said then right putting hmm putting our minds into things that are going to be more permanent than the passing brand of this, that, or the other thing, putting our hearts and discipline into forming mouths that are self-controlled, it doesn't have to be all pain and no gain, right? Uh, But but there is something about if you're not going to suffer, then there is no glory. And this is not Christianity's just unique insight, this is pretty clear. No pain, no gain. It's not a Christian saying. Right? Suffer into truth is not a Christian saying. But but Christianity also understands uh, this reality. Right? That for me to be one who is going to confess Christ to others, then I will suffer in the event. And it's actually kind of an awesome adventure to consider that being like unto the hero who is charging into whatever face of danger heedlessly throwing himself into the protection of the world of fantasy sci-fi that sits behind him. I mean, it's real. But your mind has to believe it. Yeah, your mind has to believe it. So so that's all me tangenting in to talk them into it stuff. Thank you. Um, and the guidance there. Continue to ponder, right? And if you read it and you're like, I don't get that book. Yes, we don't. I don't. I wrote it as wisdom-like as I could, with like wisdom, language, and pacing and spacing. And um, you know, I said for St. Paul, my local congregation, but I guess it's, it's for me. I want to know how to be better at this, right? And, I, and I've read books about it, but you know, just reading a book, reading tactics, didn't fix it, right? What do I need to do? I need to ponder it. I need to sit on it. and just stew on it. How do you do that? And how do you do that without losing sight of what really matters, right? Well, so what do I do? I'd infuse this with some great election theology and some resurrection theology too. So there's no question of where it's going. Yeah. and it's it hopefully over time becomes one that inspires you so that even if your friend you know doesn't come and this is part of the there's a whole section here on this right like you just don't know who's going to believe and who isn't and you don't get to decide and so if your friend walks away like it's sad like weep mourn wail all that um but don't think that you could have done something different like no um that's that's soul death to you that's the devil's accusation that's his lie that's demonic yeah, don't listen to that so do I have any additional thoughts on how to help someone who is struggling in their faith, especially when it does not have any sort of personal relationship with a pastor? Well, I mean, personal relationship with a pastor as opposed to, say, communal relationship with a pastor. I think the communal relationship is probably the most important one, and that would be more personal than any other personal relationship. But the influence of a, of a godly man— A Christian man who speaks words that are true with conviction and isn't in doubt when he says them because he believes them firmly. Like, just that in someone's life is really, really valuable, and there's not a lot of that these days. Most of us Christian men are convicted but nervous— Convicted, but uh, well, we've mansplained too much. See, and the, the beatings on the head with the uh, paper towel, uh, you know, <laughs> a newspaper wrapped up. Uh, the, the whipping on the head for mansplaining over the last 75 years of, of feminism's move from suffragetism to outright war against men. Uh, well, frankly, most men are just a little afraid to stand up and be Christian men in the public square. Uh, Sons of Solomon, it's time to wake up, right? <laughs> uh, there's, no, there's no room for that uh, in our faith. That said, again, right? Um, the presence of a man like yourself who will just with gentle integrity, again, pray for the individual and speak as kindly as you can what you know from the scriptures at this point. Like, that's the confidence. That's what she needs. She needs a a head who will lead with words of God. We all do. One way or the other, the the design of creation is made to have that happen. to, To put that headship over you, whoever you are, somewhere. Through your father, at the very least. And through that to Adam, at the very least. And through that to the father in heaven, at the very least, right? So this whole ordering of things... And, you know, I, you didn't say much about, you know, her her uh, relationship with her family and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, it's not like you have to be her head. But every Christian man, wherever he goes, and Christian woman too, but ease off, ladies. Let the men be men. Every Christian man, wherever he goes, is a king and a priest, an heir to the eternal kingdom. Now, this land, whatever you own of it... Is it really the land you're getting, though, right? Like, the Lord who owns all things has given it to you for stewardship, but it's basically whatever you own now is on temporary. Just like, you're here, and you got to suffer so you can have this much, but remember, you're not really, like, here for good. But you're a king and a priest of somewhere else. And wherever you go, that integrity and confidence, gentleness, humility, humility, courage, all of those things, should indeed be things you can rely on. You can know these are promised of God to you. And if you say, well, I don't have that. I've been a Christian so long. I've tried, I've tried. Well, oh, you, you've tried, you've tried. It's not about trying. I am not, by definition, a patient man. But I am not going to stop believing that today God's going to make me a patient man. More than I was yesterday. Because that's the promises of the Spirit of God in Christ. And so I will be open to reprimand of my impatience when it comes. Because I believe this. Right? And again, to just be men who have that about the Bible, about your religion. It's not a spirituality. It's a religion. You're part of a cult, one way or the other. <laughs> you know, it's not just a little tiny one. Are you Roman Catholic? You're part of a cult. Right? Are, are you Hindu? I guarantee you're part of a cult. It's all cultic ritual and uh, listening to gurus and teachers and talking heads. Yeah? And it's not so different, the cable news and, and what you're getting from, say, any religion you're looking for. Again, what's needed most then is Christian men who are like, oh, look at that. Like, as much as all of this is secular, it's all kind of religious too. Hmm. Like, at the very least, it's not going to be religious for me and mine. Like, we'll live here. But I don't worship that, whatever that might be. Right? Again, you growing in that does more for her than any specific kind of, like, key lock answer I might give you to the conversation. Now, I am going to say about injustice and oppression and the the problem of evil. Um th- it, it's not easy to get someone to this, but at root, it's a God complex. You've decided that you take God's definition of good and evil that he gave you from somewhere, and you believe that in theory. And then you use that to judge him. You know, it it's like, and again, this is like a it's a level of scale. It's jumping by, by squaring and cubing, not by adding the distinction between these things, right? God is so far removed from us. And good and evil is such a simple thing that he's revealed to us. For all the complexities of a universe made up of photons and waves. I mean, it's just, it's just nuts. And then you're going to sit here and you're going to look at a couple things from the ground of your small, small life. Which whether or not you believe the Bible, you can believe when Solomon says you're, you're a breath, you're going to pass away, it won't be long, no one's going to remember you. It's honestly true. If, if you don't believe that, you haven't looked at history, not even a little bit. So you're going to look th- from that perspective. You're going to take this evidence simple reality that there is a good and evil. You're going to apply it to the complex reality of what's going on here. You're going to claim that the guy you created it all, it's his fault? Or he doesn't exist and we're all here randomly accidentally, and that makes much more sense? Again, you don't know math if you think that makes more sense. It doesn't make any sense. It's, it's randomly, chaotically impossible. I mean, <laughs> really. We might as well be flying on the back of a turtle. Really. Oh, goodness gracious. So, you, as her friend, will know how to diagnose in your conversation with her, her desire to judge God based on God's standards, which he created for her to be judged by. And until she's willing to say, I want to be a Christian by believing that God will judge me according to Jesus, and that everything comes from that, wherein you do not judge God, right? Um. well, that's what has to be worked toward. That made me think of something. Let's see if we can get here. It's going to make me jump away from, uh, it worked kind of, but I was all set up. We're going to go to James 1 here for just a second because I'm prepping on James 1 for the sermon this week and the text is just amazing. James is so misunderstood. But what I want to get to here is just verse 6 here. Talking about prayer That a man who wants wisdom, particularly, should ask God in faith without doubting, it says here. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea tossed and driven by the wind. Now, the trick here is that this is not the normal word for the word doubting. Uh, It's kind of, you have to really read that out of the context. The word here means mocking or scoffing or insulting, which is really interesting Like, why would a person ask God for wisdom while scoffing at God? But then again, I guess that's what the problem of evil argument is, isn't it, now? It's exactly that. Uh, It's wanting to have God answer while saying he can't. Uh, That's this doubting. I mean, the doubting here is just really the wrong word. Um, It's it's without mocking or without skepticism. You know, Asking faith, believing that God's going to give whatever God's going to give, not what you've decided he should give. And the other then you will not be this wave tossed by your own ideas and the slogans of the world around, right? Um, that man should not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. Why would God send you a disciple if you can't even discipline yourself? Um, you're double-minded. This is actually also such an interesting word. Double-minded is so horrible. Uh, uh, you could get this in just in the, in the English almost. Daisuke, uh, maybe not suke, uh, soul. It's the word that always comes across as soul everywhere else. And now we have, you know, like bicycle— Buy soul, die. Same, same thing, die soul. Um, so he's a two-souled, a two-spirited person, unstable. You know, he's got a split personality. The man who is not a Christian, what's his split personality? Well, he hates himself and he hates his neighbor. That's what, he hates his God. Uh, and so he can't ask or seek good without scoffing and mocking, right? As opposed to being in faith, which then becomes the heart of wisdom, which if you get into Proverbs, like we will actually be doing, look at this. James and wisdom are so close together, right? Um, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of of that wisdom. Uh, We'll come back to that here uh, with another question in a moment, if I can get the right buttons going. But so there, I I don't know. You know, I do not recommend ever when you're asking about how you should respond to somebody um, about something, and I give you an answer. I really don't recommend that the next thing you do is you send them my video. That's never going to go well for you. They have no relationship with me. They have no reason to listen to me. Uh, All it's going to seem like is you're judging them in some way by this weird guy doing stuff online, right? Um, So what you need to do is take some notes on what I said. Smart note those notes, which means take notes on your own notes, make them cleaner, make them better, right? And then pray and ponder on that. Go into those Psalms, like I said, and continue to pray, not only for this person, but for the world around you. Believe that the scepter of righteousness will not, excuse me, the scepter of wickedness, Will not rest, and you can even kind of hear, will not long rest on the land allotted to the justified, lest the justified reach out his hand into iniquity. God does not allow evil to remain over you so long that it would destroy you in your faith. Right? So all suffering is here to drive us into believing it's for the good of more people coming to faith in Christ. And, and acting on that is wise <laughs> right uh and not acting on that is is folly and to join the masses of the world that are not hearing the call to repentance which frankly uh, a pandemic has brought upon all of us yeah all of us so cool hope that helps you a bunch a bunch a bunch and let's see if we can do one more before i see proverbs that's going to go deep though we're going to jump over to this one ben says um hi pastor fisk do you have any videos talking about the biblical stance on self-defense? This is a topic of constant discussion among my group of friends. It seems that there is an obligation of fathers and husbands to protect their families, but I'm not sure how to square that with turn the other cheek. Any insight you can provide would be greatly appreciated to rock on. Yeah, Ben, thank you and rock on to you. Um, so the simple answer is that Jesus exaggerates things to make a point? It's a rhetorical device called hyperbole. He's not the first one to do it. In fact, he speaks in a Greek tradition, at least so far as we have him recorded by the apostles, who we know were the eyewitnesses. He speaks in the Greek tradition, which would lead you to see him as using hyperbole as an orator on, on purpose. This is this is he's he's trained in this, and maybe not trained by someone who taught him the Greek stuff. But he's God, right? So he he knew what he was doing, um, and so. In that regard, when he decides to hyperbolize, his point is not only believe the literal words of Jesus as commands, go do them now, cut off your hand, poke out your eye. <laughs> uh, his point is instead, ponder this for some time and realize that what is the real manly thing to do in a mano imano mano piss contest moment? When someone's like, well, I'm bigger than you are, and you realize that's really what's going on in any kind of normal life around you. What should you do? Just turn the other cheek. Be like, oh, whatever, I don't need to win that one. Okay, so that's like, that's his point. Not that someone's about to rape your wife and your kids and then stab them through after they make you watch or maybe just blot out your eyes. No, you stop them, man. <laughs> you stop them. You and your neighbors stop the evil men. You and your police, you and your government go to the authorities that give you the authority. The American constitution gives you authority to defend yourself, and on that, you are released from any obligation that any other king might put on you until we overturn that constitution, which is why the Second Amendment kind of does matter. But anyway, that's a different topic, (laughs) right? Uh, So where you should go from this is if you can find a copy of Dr. Martin Luther's Can Soldiers to be Saved? to, like, T-O-O, also be saved. Uh, there should be a public domain version of this online, easily found. Wolf publication stuff might have a uh, you know a Lulu one you can pick up. Uh, it's not a long document. Uh, it will be in a version of Luther's works. So Luther's works is usually about 40 bucks a, vol- a volume. There will be one that includes it, and so you can pick that up uh, from Amazon as well. I'm not sure which, which volume that would be. But it is a document in which he answers the question. I mean, it, really, it's not... If turn the other cheek means pacifism is the morality of the scriptures, which flies in the face of the Old Testament, um, if if turn the other cheek means that pacifism and the Quakers, (laughs) who are running everything, are are right, um, that it should be about nonviolence, that the Christian ethic is never to raise a hand to defend, but just to let them destroy. If that is, in fact, what we're supposed to do, Well, then how could you ever be a police officer or a soldier or, frankly, a king, a mayor, uh, a governor, um, anybody who in any way would ever have to do any type of violence, verbal or otherwise, which in these days just aggressively – not aggressively – assertively stating your opinion is considered aggressive verbal violence if you're mansplaining. So, you know, um, at a certain point, you end up undoing civilization by this idea of pacifism. And there's plenty of biblical texts to show you how the sword exists in the fallen world, and probably also in some amazing way in the perfect world. I mean, Michael's a a warrior always, somehow, right? But the sword definitely exists in this world to restrain evil, and it does so by doing the only thing you can do to evil, which is putting it down. And the idea that in America it's all going to be rehab this is one of the most— that's why we have so many criminals, is because we keep trying to rehab rather than— really punishing. And then what happens is that curb changes the results. Now, am I saying that we should turn into death penalties in all our, our institutions right now? No, no, no. The Democrats made this mess. And frankly, I mean, if they want to, <laughs> I don't want to let them fix it, but like, don't take and apply my saying that long time ago, we shouldn't have gone this route, right? As saying that right now, the answer is like, just kill a bunch of people, right? No, 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 no. I much prefer Trump's approach to prison reform at this point. But to recognize the idea of, of prison as rehabilitation is misguided. It's not that you cannot have a prisoner reform. You can. And some, there's these businesses out there right now, entrepreneurship businesses that are training prisoners in prison to be entrepreneurs so that when they get out, they can get work because we made it so hard for them to do, which is why we need prison reform. So there's all of that, right? But we forgot that there are evil people who just want to be evil. I'm not saying everyone in prison is that, but such people do exist. And you can't rehab them because they don't want to be. They don't want to be. When that moment happens, and that can be a moment of insanity. Go ahead and in our courts, plea insanity in the moment. That's fine. But when that happens and that person's running at you and they're fuming at the mouth and they don't care and they're going to kill you, as a Christian, you don't have to let them kill others. You make the call at that moment, right? Am I a defender of someone else? Then I need to defend someone else. Is this just about me? Now, I mean, you could get to the exception of the rule where you imagine yourself in some scenario where it's like, all right. You know what? I'm all right dying. I'm just going to die now so I can get the final word and tell the guy about Jesus before he kills me, right? Okay, fine. Or you decide, no, I have duties to my commander. I am not to get caught right now. And I go, notice how the fourth commandment is so much a part of this, though. It's about being authorized. And as a father, then, what are you authorized to do? You're authorized to protect your family. And in our country, that means depending on your state and how, but generally, you can shoot an intruder who tries to hurt you. And that's the king's word. And we are to honor the king as Christians. Romans 13. Get into that one. Trust it. Where's the king? Well, there's the constitution now. We could debate that. Let's have a conference. Why not? But it is what it is, right? In, In the alternative of this sanctimonious Quakerism, it's Quakerism that somehow the Christian ethic is that you are to never be a man, that you're to watch evil happen and not stop it. That's what pacifism is. Watch evil happen and don't stop it. Not let it happen to yourself and suffer through it for the other. That's different. It's watch evil happen and don't stop it. If you've used turn the other cheek to get there, you have, again, gone diabolical with it. You've you've missed the point of how you need to learn how to be a lesser man and not a greater man if you really want to be a greater man. You've missed that point, and you turn it into some sort of nonsensical law so you can think of yourself as a greater man and look down at others who aren't like you. I'm not saying you, Ben. I'm talking about Quakers. <laughs> oh, God help us. God help us. said, so I hope that helps, Ben, uh, with that. I don't know where else could I point you. There's not a lot of good, like, to my knowledge, I have not seen a good modern work on this. Jeff Hemner's "Man Up" is a good beginning foray into the idea of reclaiming a biblical masculinity, uh, but but on something that deals with this kind of issue, this uh, civil, the civil righteousness of defense. Um, I, I wish I could point you to more, but I, I really can't. So, but good question. Good question, for sure. Let's see here. Um, 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 um. Let's go here with Richard. Richard says, Rev. Fisk, the document Faculty Opinion, Facts, and Faith, what we know to be true in the face of a pandemic from Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary in St. Catharines, Ontario, is being discussed at an up- upcoming Winkle. Uh, for those who, who don't know, a Winkle is a LCMS jingo. Uh, jingo? Uh, jingo. Language. Um, LCMS language for a circuit gathering of pastors. It happens once a month, and they originally happened because it was not always possible to get the Lord's Supper where you were as a pastor, especially if you did not take it from your own hand, which there was some tradition of that, uh, and so as a result of that, and you wouldn't take it from a layman's hand either by the way, at that point, point. Um, and so you had the need for these pastors to be communed so once a month they were brought together and then they would also tend to check in usually with what was called a circuit visitor uh, somebody whose job it was to make sure that they were orthodox, kind of on and off check on their habit, are you reading scripture, all that kind of stuff it's not really that anymore now, it's more just kind of the guys getting together to be worried about the world (laughs) a little bit but uh sometimes we study stuff and that's good and the conversation is not necessarily unfruitful thank you darth mick for lingo by the way the conversation is not necessarily unfruitful um but it's it's not the the original purpose of the things aren't really what they are anymore calling them winkles is really kind of just quaint um that said, okay, so you're going to be discussing this document from Concordia Theological Seminary St. Catharines, Ontario. This is a sister seminary of the LCMS in the United States, part of the sister uh, church body that's up there, and all of the in- inside baseball of that. Um, so they've got a document on, you know, what do you do with COVID, right? Uh, and then you're going to be talking about it. So here's, you continue on. I find that I have many problems with the assertions made in the document and wonder where you would land on its conclusions. I could expound on each one of them more, but will refrain in anticipation of your thoughts and or astonishment on any or all points. Okay, so now I think I have another slide to get to go to for this one. There we go. Um, And uh, I'll I'll put it up here. But I want to kind of preface this here too. You're you're probably not going to be happy with my answer. Um, mm -mm -mm. Well, we'll put that on the next one. Okay, yeah. just in that, my answer is always going to be that whatever your locality is, Whatever the lady are thinking in the conversation, you pastor people, like, you really got a shepherd as one who, <laughs> who isn't going to riff the flock at the moment over an unessential, an unessential, right? Um, even if it's imposed unjustly, at this time, can your congregation take splitting over it? Or can you believe that you just got to endure this one a little longer? And I've been on the enduring route. I'm getting louder about we should pay attention to the real facts, and we're not, frankly, at all uh, in America. Uh, It's just just such a different story um, in Sweden. (laughs) Um, So mm, continuing with you now, though, again, with that caveat, right? COVID, you got to let people disagree. You really have to be able to let people disagree. Um, The question again becomes then— When you're changing the practice for everybody, who is the weaker brother, right? Really, that actual discussion. Uh, We must consider the message—this is a quote from from the document, right? Uh, We must consider the message of fear and doubt conveyed if masks become an ongoing feature of public worship. In some jurisdictions, authorities have forbidden singing or even brass music on the basis of dubious and disputed evidence that it might spread the virus more effectively than speaking. The devil is delighted when he can silence our praise. Here, too, the Christian must have— Confidence for what God has instituted for our good. Singing His praises is not an optional part of worship, Uh, and that's they they point to Ephesians five for that. Um, And now your response: uh, singing, while desirable and useful, is not required in order to properly or rightly define the efficacy of a given divine service. Agreed with your point. I would say that singing is not commanded as part of worship, but it's commanded as part of Christianity. (laughs) Uh, If you're going to go to Ephesians five, it's not really about the divine service per se. And it's about the life of the Christian as we walk together, uh, man, woman, father, child, uh, employee, employer, all that kind of stuff. And so to lift up your voice audibly with the words of Scripture, I'm not so sure it's about how well you make music. I think it's about what I was saying earlier. You got to pray the Psalms out, lo- out loud. And if you're not, well, hmm, that's strange, Christianity. That's a strange thing. Uh, so with that said, uh the information about singing that we've received from the so-called scientific world has been mm, cloudy at best. And, and to make this sort of like the, the mandate that one must uh, follow through, right, is also pretty ridiculous. Now, in my congregation, again, we have one sung service and two unsung services. Uh, this has more to do with Length of time than anything at this point because in order to fit the spacing for the more, more socially distanced as opposed to just normally socially distanced other two sp- services, we've gone to spoken services. Interestingly enough, I've had several members say these are better. Um, why? Well, I read the hymns out loud as poetry, and you can listen to them. Rather than have to worry about trying to sing them, which for a lot of people who are not natively musical is quite stunning as an experience. They've never realized, oh, it said that, right? Because they're too busy trying to follow the tune. Um, so there's been some real value coming out of that. Uh, that said, I, I, I don't see a reason really to, uh, to let the world remove singing from the church Right? That's the thing, and we need to keep having that conversation. That doesn't mean shove singing back in. I'm not. They're going to start singing again when, as a group, they figure out how to start singing again. I don't. I don't lead that way, uh, but I do keep talking about. Look, here's the deal. You know, this is this isn't really the thing. The mask stops you if you are sick from spreading it. And the real thing we should all be doing is staying home if we're sick. That's the real thing we should all be doing. Wow, will the economic world let us do that? I mean, we're going to destroy the whole economy so that we can not stay home when we're sick. Weird. Weird. Going on on the topic though. I mean, yeah. What did I say before? Non-essentials cannot be made essential. And frankly, music is a non-essential. So um, I love Saint Katz. I By the way, Saint Katz is a great seminary. Uh, they have great information, great scholars, great students coming out of there. Um, I would I would agree with your your insistence that they they've overplayed the hand. I don't think they intend to say that the essence of Word and Sacrament is is musical sound, right? But it sure could be taken that way. And so, yeah, bring that up at your winkle, man. Talk about it. I would say that when you bring it up at your winkle, be like, hey, like, I hate nitpick. I hate nitpicking. I don't want to nitpick, but I was worried by this, right? Like, this bothered my conscience. Right? What do you guys think about this? Lay it out that way, as opposed to like, I know this is so wrong and blah, blah, Like, Like, like this bothered my conscience. What what can we say about this? All right, so another quote here. Uh, the document said it would be uh fallacious at numerous levels to assert that Jesus would not have instituted the sacrament as he did if he had known what plagues would be suffering today. Yeah, okay, so the idea there is that the argument is made that Jesus did—it's <laughs> such a silly argument—if Jesus had known about virology, then he wouldn't have started the Lord's Supper like that, right? Like, wow, and you believe this guy's God, huh? Oh, you don't. Well, that's kind of the problem. Yeah, so, so that's their point here, right? Like, it's, just, it's, it's a, such a fallacious argument. Um, facetious? Felicious. Where I'm looking for the word fallacious. Yeah. Uh, This shocking supposition falters on the fact that far worse and more untreatable illnesses ravaged ancient peoples. Yeah, that's the truth. Uh, More importantly, it calls into question both the divinity and gracious purposes of our Lord. Yeah, that was what I said. I think Uh, Jesus knew how disease was spread. I think he pretty much knew how wine worked, too. And I'm pretty sure the ancient church knew how gold plate worked. I think they were really clever. I think they had ways for the pastor to come in the back door on Sunday morning because they didn't want the pastor to get sick, right? I I, I actually think that's how it happened. I'm not saying we should do that today— Necessarily, we should have good practices. But to think that they didn't know this, right? And that somehow drinking out of the same gold-plated, jealous glass of wine is an archaic bit of ignorance, right? That's, that's what the document's being like, this is nonsense. This is just complete, utter nonsense. Right. Um, uh, Jesus foresaw every crisis in human history, and he instituted for his church a common meal with the common cups. So, so I agree. The divinity of Jesus cannot be questioned by any of us in this. You know, would Jesus wear a mask? No. He heals diseases. He's not going to spread them, right? So so it's just silly to have that kind of conversation uh, about him. And also then to recognize that the ancient church were not a bunch of stooge idiots. That the modern world, you think the modern world is smart? You Give it 20 more years and it's all going to be falling apart. We won't know how to fix any of it. We are one of the dumbest generations ever raised. We're about to lose the top of a pinnacle of civilization because we're shouting for them to take it away from us. That's my personal opinion here, right? But do not presume that the ancient people were stupid and you were smart. Uh, that is what stupid people do, <laughs> right? Uh, so, all right, now, you have a, you have a uh, concern with the, what has been said, and uh, I, I want to take it seriously. So, to say—I I haven't even read it yet—to uh, say that Christ would know, at his institution of the Lord's Supper, all contingencies the Church would find herself dances with the logic of the divine intention of the fall. Uh, see, I just disagree with you on that one. Uh, that the fall of creation was a contingency God had planned and baked into his creation. I think—I think—, I think ugh, Mm, I don't know. You're veering into speculation about how we talk about the timeline of events of God's planning, right? His hidden stuff. And and we can't do that. And what they're confessing is that God, in his hidden stuff, knows how to handle the seen stuff. And so when he tells us this is the seen stuff that you stick with, you stick with it, right? Uh, that's their argument. And I'm I'm with them fully on that one. Um I'm not really comfortable with the idea that the fall was baked into creation. Certainly we know that Christ was crucified before the foundation of the world. And I call that a glorious mystery at which I should fall at my feet in humble obeisance to a God who could foresee and plan for my salvation without baking a fall into the creation in the first place. So the language there is, I would say, um, election, predestination, it's so easy to trip ourselves up on it. So I'm nitpicking now a little bit. But it's It's just, we got to be really careful with where did the evil come from? Where did the evil come from? And and it did not come from God. What he has built is a creation that's so good that evil can't stop it from doing the good God planned in the first place. And if we can make procedurally generated universes on computers, I'm pretty sure God can do it for real, right? So it's not like he had to do it in such a way that he had every eventuality planned other than – He is big enough that he could have done it so that no eventuality could arise that would be against his plan. And there's a difference between those two things, right? Now, we're in speculation, so before you bring up on charges, the argument is one of speculation at this point. Um, We cannot know what God foresaw, and so we should not mess with his institutions. That's the point they're making. And if, you know, when this is the thing which God has said, do this, do this, right? And I wrote a whole book about it, so if you— Yeah, I'm a biased person at this point, right? Uh, If you stop having the Lord's Supper— if it's about having the Lord's Supper, uh, don't expect the church to survive. Uh, not for long. Uh, so, you got a little bit more here. Let's let's see here into this point. Um, so, uh, to equate suffering for doing good. See, am I missing? I think I'm missing a, a piece of the document here. Did I to get all of this? Nope, that's right. All right. Well, we'll see what we can do with this. I, I feel like I'm missing a piece of the information. Uh, point three, to equate suffering for doing good with intentionally embarking in unsafe or ill-advised activities to make mystical the very nature of suffering for Christ. I agree with this, right? You're right. This is a, this is a real danger. You would be very careful about this. And it, it actually plagues my conscience pretty regularly as I talk about the information we're getting from various places about what COVID is. Because here we all are relying on external witnesses, most of whom are not Christian. And for a long time, we've had every reason, not a, we've had no reason, but instead believed that they're all telling the truth to us, Christians, uh, no matter what. Like, non-Christians are all telling the truth to us, Christians. And now it's being exposed more and more and more and more. It's not really always been the case. And and, and that the um, even the footage you watch, whatever you see, can be doctored so easily now, right? So how to have a conversation in good faith about what to do, what is safe or not safe— This is where I'm like, it's got to be what you decide together with your own conviction as a group. It's got to be because you have to hold yourselves accountable. you got to custodian your own fear. And if you're looking for someone else to do it for you, well, then don't blame them when when you find out that they were listening to liars or they were liars. You passed the buck. You decided that rather than figure it out on your own and make a decision and stand and take it, you wanted someone else to make the decision for you. Okay, fine. But you don't get to yell at them when it's a bad decision. You passed the buck. So I completely agree with you. We have to be very, very careful in this. And we don't want to be mystical and say, well, the virus can't possibly—the no, virus. No illness. No, th- no cataclysm. There's a meteor coming upon us. I will drink the Lord's Supper, and it won't harm me. Like, that's nonsense, right? And that's, it's a straw man I, I'm building, but it also is what you're seeing as a slippery sho- slope. And so the ad absurdum, I think, applies. And so you're right. Um, we want to be careful, and yet we also don't want to deny the institutions— And we have to recognize that in the ancient church, people were willing to die rather than give up the institutions. So we need to be at least able to say, this cup might kill you as it gives you eternal life today. And that's okay. And if you want to wait till next week, go for it. But We shouldn't stop people from drinking if they're not worried about it. That's kind of what it comes down to. Trying to control other people, that's where this is getting diabolical. Your conscience, you need to manage. Uh, and just because you're following someone who wants to manage other people's consciences doesn't mean you should manage other people's consciences. right? Now, I'm not accusing you particularly, right? You've got a really great warning here. we got to be careful and recognize that while you might not get hurt or be afraid of getting hurt, someone else might get hurt and you could be wrong. Because who knows if the information from Sweden that I'm reading about, which makes it clear that we're pretty much in the clear, who knows if that's actually true. Maybe that's all lies planted by, what, China? Who blocked who blocked pence and and not harris because because totally uh you know uh trump's all russia china right he's in bed with all the evil peoples um and yet and yet and yet oh man anyway we must then take a leap of self martyrdom and reach uh its inevitable conclusion if we are to assert that in all cases good is of the highest virtue and to its end we embrace suffering for its sake the line of thinking can be exacerbated to drinking the punch Again, if you want to take it to the ad absurdum, I don't think that's what they're trying to say. I don't think that they're trying to say that we should recklessly uh, ignore what's what's really a threat and tell Christians, deal with it and die. I don't think they're saying that. I think they're saying, you know, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me once, shame on t- you. How many times are you going to cry wolf? And now that the wolf has been cried so many times, it's getting really hard to see if there's actually a wolf or or not. And all you can do is look local, not national, right? Uh, Not global, for sure. So drinking the punch, I think at this point, is telling anybody else that they have to believe what you're thinking. (laughs) Honestly, I mean, aside from like the Bible, (laughs) right? So um, yeah, uh, beware the the slope that could lead to, but also beware the other side of it where we live in a security-worshiping age. A bunch of flesh driven, carnally secure people would rather put their feet up in lazy boys and stay home to watch the sermon on TV. The last thing you'd ever do is actually worship. That is, letruo, You know it in the Greek, right? Get on your face on the ground. When was the last time you did that? No, we don't do that. So, you know, I mean, you know, our self security is something that should be called out by what St. Cat what, uh, is saying. And, I, and I'm with it. I'm with it. We are way too afraid. We're way too afraid because we want to be secure. And if we would realize there's no security in this life, as the Bible clearly says, then we would not be afraid. You'd walk around like you're an immortal because you know death won't actually touch you when it comes. And that will be, um, well, it is an amazing awakening. You've got to do it every day. It's not like you just you believe this and suddenly you're just, you're, you're godlike, right? I mean, you are, but you're not. It's all promise. <laughs> uh, but when you then have these promises and you re- repeat them out loud, it's kind of amazing. You, you tend to believe them. And then when you believe them, they tend to impact how you feel, what you think, what you do. It's, it's pretty cool. So, okay, uh, last comment from you, Richard. Uh, time in its brevity does not define the fullness of the church. True. Uh, We're in a local or even global circumstance. causes the body of Christ to employ sound measure in pursuit of safety. These measures in their temporary uses do not define the long-term traditions of the church. I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. The trick is when the government wants to define the, the traditions for you, really. And, and at least in Illinois, that's what it looked like early on. And in, was it was Arizona, California. They got a lot of that still, still going on. Big, big historic churches in, like, legal battles to just be allowed to exist. So, you know, we're all in such different dynamic places. Uh, The article from Mad Mondays I wrote last week, linking to a far more complex article uh, from a think tank about how time is changing on an axis from a Kronos clock, uh, assembly line driven... World to a more fractured, less unifying world that Moore's—well, it's not really Moore's law, but I, I do think this connects. <laughs> the end of Moore's law, as Mr. Yam- Yam- Yamabe pointed out, uh, it means a number of other things, including that the unification endeavors of of the pagan world empire are going to fail. We knew that anyway, because God always says it will, and now we're going to see a fracturing uh, going on. So. What does that mean? I don't know if – I mean maybe there will be somebody in charge of the whole world with an iron fist. But where you are is going to be experienced more like medieval Europe where it's about your local authorities and the nobles and what they're doing and how well the local economy is doing. That's going to increasingly matter. Um, uh, so uh, because of that reality, if you live in a state where the government is encroaching on your freedoms already, well, that's a terrifying thing. huh? Um, and so you do have to, like, almost say, like, this is something, not a global circumstance, this is a local circumstance that causes us to not do what someone on the other side of the country might say we have to do this. And we can't judge each other across the Internet. It's just too far in time and space, and time even. Uh, remember that, you know, Wuhan is like five months ahead of us in the pandemic timeline. Now, is that good or bad for them? Well, it's it's a different thing over there, too. Uh, uh, and that's also very interesting. So what I'm saying is this, again. Uh, yes, you are correct. The church is bigger than temporary things, but the temporary things should be temporary. And uh, 15 days to slow the curve um, into an ongoing permanent shutting down of churches in some areas. I mean, was, you can't fault them for saying, Uh, Yeah, it's time to to deal with facts instead and just take the suffering when it comes. Um, And in some places, that's that's the case. Uh, Where are you, right? Uh, How much can you bend? How much is this about your own carnal security? If you're not asking that question, you should. And if you're mad at me for asking it of you, don't be. That's what a brother would do is gut check you. So, you know, how is – how much of your carnal security is being driven by this, right, or is driving this? It has to be there. We all have it. So find it and then be honest with it. I hate it. you know. uh, Take it to the cross, as you know. Um, So, uh, but you are certainly correct in this. And this is where I, I was more against you in the previous comment. Because we cannot see the narrow in the full, then we should never change what we know is always here. And so the receiving of the supper as instituted is the last thing we should ever mess with, ever, ever, ever. You don't have to go. But to stop it happening, or to change it, to fracture it needlessly, um, as, well, one might argue we have in some ways, um, well, it it betrays a lack of trust. And then when push comes to shove and the sun shines and the suffering gets tough, the trust does what the trust does. And if there's no trust there, well, then there's no trust there, right? It's it's not like it's this, like, tit-for-tat thing. It's an organic reality. Faith is an organic reality. It's alive. The Spirit breathes into you by word and sacrament. So, you know that. You're, you're fighting for that. You're wrestling to recover what's been lost of that in an age of white noise, chaos, and darkness. So, Richard, thank you for the question. I hope it's been helpful. Uh, I hope that when you go to Winkle and talk about this, you guys have a good and fruitful discussion. Winkles should be there for pastors to disagree so that iron can sharpen iron and they can continue being convicted and wise and accountable heads of their local Congregations. I'm going to take about a three-minute break here, uh, drink some water, and come back. More questions, definitely going to get into the Proverbs, and I wish I could get the shadow off my face. I don't think it's going to happen today, so enjoy the music anyway. That's not the right button at all. Look at the files, everybody. Um, hmm, intriguing. Alright, we're going to be digging into some Proverbs. I've been recommending Proverbs to people to read for the last couple of weeks, and a lot. Like, I, it was it was picking up steam in the summer, but now it's got to be every, I don't know, fifth or tenth thing I say is, well, have you been reading the Proverbs on that? I mean, it struck me a couple weeks ago, and so I've said it this way multiple times as well, but I just don't think there's a better way to say it. Like, God wrote a book about how to be smarter than everybody else, and you're not reading it? Like, regularly? What? What? I mean, Okay. <laughs> I, I can't fix that for you, right? And and part of that's me talking to myself. Um, so I have really been enjoying my own diving back into the book. Um, and I started a little fast even. I was going, I was outlining, I was kind of summarizing and it, and then it it hit, I hit really uh, almost Proverbs 8, and I realized so much had happened, and I didn't really understand the structure enough of the early section. So I've gone back, and I'm really going slow right now. I've spent, I've spent so much time in the first, like, Ten verses, right? Um, which is awesome, though. It's just a different way of looking at the book. You got a question about Proverbs 8, and then I'm going to tie this to Proverbs 1 uh, and, and actually where my study was this morning, because they line up really well together. Um, now, I feel like I maybe didn't pull the right first item in here. Let me double check this here. Ah, oh, here we go. We need that one first. <clears throat> Pastor Fisk says, you've inspired me to jump back into Proverbs. Good. Which is one of my favorite books. Good. Uh, I have read through it several times over the past 10 years, but I'm seeing something I haven't noticed before, and I want to get your understanding on this. Rock on. Uh, Referring to Proverbs 8, verses 22 to 36, Wisdom's Call, it seems evident that this, to me, that this is Jesus talking. Yes. Now, I want to point out, this is not to call you out, it's to call us humanities out, right? You've read this book several times in the last 10 years, and you didn't realize Wisdom was Jesus till this read? Like, wow. Like, that's the most obvious part of the whole book. (laughs) But I say that because someone taught me that when I was like 12, right? So it's not fair for me to say that. But my point is, notice how unwise we are by definition and how long it takes and how much a teacher who can say this, that, this, that, look here, do this, can really help, right? So, but awesome. You found something that is spot on. We're going to look at it. Uh, Referring to Proverbs 8, wisdom's call, it seemed evident to me this is Jesus talking, almost like he's introducing himself very specially here, specifically here in each line. It seems especially true if we are putting this text side by side with the opening words of the Gospel of John. Correct. And the Church has recognized this for a very, very, very long time, that the Logos, which became flesh and dwelt among us, is not so different from the Sophia, that'd be the Greek word of the Old Testament wisdom, um, and the Old Testament word wisdom, I am not wise enough to have memorized yet. Um, I'm working on it. I have it on a card over there, I think, somewhere. I just don't know how to say it very well. But, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, Recognizing that the logos, the word who became flesh and dwelt among us, is this pre-incarnate Son of God personified person, person, like a person, 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 who talks with the eye. Um, and that in Proverbs, that eye becomes so clear, so crystal clear, um, that is something the church has seen for a long time. However, it also led to one of the greatest fights in the history of the church, or it became the battleground text. For the twi- fight between uh, a guy named Athanasius um, and and his enemy, uh, Arius, over whether or not this pre-incarnate son of God was merely a god or is in fact of one substance with the god who is also the father. Um, that would be the orthodox Trinitarian faith versus Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnessism, Arianism, and all these other isms that showed up in various places and times. Even Muhammadism is not so far removed from this. That being said, blah, 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 clearly... Um, Oh, well, it, the fight happens when this happens. Then, so in this text, if this is Jesus and only Jesus and not just wisdom, well, Jesus is a woman, which is weird. Um, and and two, uh, it says he's created at one point. Right? It says he's created. And that's the fight. I mean, Arius was up against Athanasius, and you know Athanasius was right. And he was pointing at this text, saying it's right here. He's created. He cannot be. He must be an angel. who has been elevated. He can't. Son of God cannot actually be one with the Father. And um, I don't know if that's the actual quote. I don't know when Saint Nicholas punched him and all that kind of stuff. It's great. Council Nicaea, I should look into it. <laughs> it's make make for a good movie. Honestly, what what a like a oh man, yeah, like like a Pulp Fiction style. Yeah, that'd be that'd uh, be amazing. Anyway. So we've got to be careful with that. We'll try to touch on that when we get here. But the short of it is that this is a prophetic, a typological, a, a show of the person of Christ in the mouth of Solomon as a character in a story Solomon has created up to this point, the story of the young man in his life in which he is tempted by folly and called to by wisdom. And that now that, that wisdom calls, this lady, right? And when she calls, you hear Jesus' voice. Okay, So that doesn't mean that the wisdom is Jesus in a sense of like he's a girl and he was created as human wisdom is created. Yeah. But it does mean that the ultimate wisdom is that the fear of Jesus is the beginning of knowledge. <laughs> so, so when you find Jesus, he's going to be wisdom of old, more than this personified picture, this character in Solomon's narrative and story, which is awesome, but the actual one on whom it is based. Right. And Solomon's playing as much with the feminine gender of the language of Hebrew as anything else. And that's why it's a girl. It's because the word wisdom just happened to be feminine. So, yeah, well, what are you going to do? It's a story. So, da 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 So, yes. Right? Yes? Be careful. Okay? Uh, this seems especially true for putting this text... Yeah, we, I said that. Okay, so nice thanks for All right, so here we have Proverbs 8, starting at verse 23. But I want to jump... Uh, I'm going to take us back first, Okay? So, before we go there, I want to jump us to Proverbs chapter 1, because while you are absolutely correct that in Proverbs chapter 8, wisdom personified speaks with the voice of the shepherd, who is Jesus Christ, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, whom I adore. (laughs) It's not the first time this lady wisdom has shown up, and certainly not the first time she talks. In fact, she talks so fast, she shows up right in chapter 1, and she talks before Dame Folly shows up. Uh, she talks immediately as the result of listening to your parents. Um, so let, let's look at that. So I, I think you can see my mouse. And hold on, now you'll be able to see it for sure. Verse one is the title of the book in Hebrew, right? That's the book, Proverbs of the Son of Solomon, Son of David. And then verses two through six is like a sales pitch. It's an ancient world sales pitch. All right, you found this in the in the Library of Alexandria. You're like looking at scrolls, right? And it's like, oh, this is to like do this, to know wisdom, perceive words of understanding. Like the other one's like, how to track rain, and this you're like, I want this one, <laughs> right? And then here is now your real thesis slash title of the first book, which is going to run up to and through wisdom personified in chapter eight and nine, um, and then end with the second book beginning at chapter ten, that is the Proverbs of Solomon, as like. Pithy sayings. Uh, what most people think of when they think of proverbs starts in chapter ten. So anyway, chapter verse seven here is like the the theme of this first book, chapter one verse seven through nine, verse whatever the last verse is. Now that this first book is broken up into a number of what's called mashals, and I don't know the meaning of that word really. I just know that uh, ancient uh, or uh, Old Testament commentaries on the proverbs talk about sections of proverbs as being mashals, or little collections. And uh, I've not seen this in, in commentaries yet, but I've noticed that if you just apply that idea to certain keywords, you can find a structure emerging very quickly in the opening book, right? In Proverbs 1, 7, through the rest of, you know, un, unto before 10 starts. I wish there was an easier way to say that, through the end of chapter 9. Um, and what you see is you see 12, 12 sections that begin with the phrase, my son, and you see three sections that begin with the phrase, my children, Now, I haven't deep-dived into the Hebrew on this yet, so someone feel free to do it, but I'm pretty sure that the English reflects a change in the Hebrew. And what happens then is you have six my sons, and then you have a my children, three my sons, a my children, three my sons, and a my children to finish the entire thing. That seems like a structure to me. (laughs) It seems like a biblical structure to me, especially when you think of 12 being the the tribes of Israel and uh, the church, and you actually have then... You know, the, it's split in half at six, kind of like the 12 and 24 elders are split in half in Revelation. So there's a lot of numerology going on there. With that said, then, and not not going too much further. The first Mishal is like super short. It's right there. It's it. And then this next one, second one, my son, it goes all the way until the end of the chapter. All this way, all the way down, all the way down, right? And then the next my son is in chapter two. So this is not the way we would write books we'd be like oh this first chapter is too short right (laughs) oh yeah well you're supposed to ponder this one for a bit longer now again i'm not going to go into that but it is about like if you don't believe in the office of father and mother then the world falls apart and you can know nothing that's basically what what that is um then the second one is there's bad people in the world and they're bad and they're going to be bad and if you listen to them you're going to be bad and it will go badly for you I know, it's like, like G.I. Joe kind of taught you this, but no one really believes it, right? So, so here he is teaching us that again. Now, this whole section about bad things and bad people is split into two parts. One that simply talks about the path of the wicked or those who say, let's lie and wait to shed blood. It'll turn into the, the path a bit later. But then you have, oh, look at this. Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice. You have wisdom's call. So isn't it interesting that we refer to Proverbs chapter 8 as wisdom's call when Proverbs chapter 1 is wisdom's call? Maybe, maybe they go together, yeah? Uh, maybe they're bookends. Hmm, yeah. Uh, so just 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 some of the think on here. So before we go look at Proverbs 8, let's at least just look at who this wisdom, this eternal logos of God, who Jesus, when he is understood as the creator, really, as idea, um, as um knowledge, and fleshed as man, yes, but then making things, speaking the word in creation. When I mentioned the, the procedurally ger- generating nature of, of existence and even quantum physics, I think right that, that God is ongoingly talking it into reality, and that is the person of Jesus. That that is who He is, and then He became man too. Right? Well, then who's the Father? Who's the Spirit? Yeah, right. It's crazy, right? <laughs> the Trinity is a marvel because they're all involved in these tasks, and yet as different individuals, um, but not as Divided ever again, the mystery of the Trinity, my friends. So, let's go into that mystery revealing in the face of Jesus through the meta narrative of Lady Wisdom as she first speaks, first time in the book. Wisdom calls aloud, she raises her voice in the open squares, she cries out in the chief concourses at the opening gates of the city. She speaks her words. Now, here's the point it's not hard. To find this. It's everywhere. You don't even need the Bible to know what it's going to say next, effectively. Okay? This is, this is, uh, their voice has gone out, right? Where is, as Isaiah says, where has it been that their voice has not gone out? Like even the stars tell it if you listen. Um, hence the stargazers, and they're not listening very well, right? Think about it. So, uh, verse 22 now she's going to speak. And what does she say? How long will you, simple ones, love simplicity? And that's the first thing wisdom says. Just slow, slow. Don't go further. Ignore the scorner and the rebuke. Slow. Wisdom showed up at the start of the book to call. It's the voice of the shepherd. You've acknowledged wisdom is the voice of the shepherd. Is not Jesus is not a woman, but wisdom speaks as his personified avatar in the book of Proverbs. Yes. Ha, well said, I hope. Uh, check me on it if it wasn't. Um, but this avatar of Jesus, pre-incarnate, now says... First thing, why are you staying simple? And if you're an English speaker, you're like, I'm not sure what that means. Like, are you are you telling me that Christianity is supposed to be complex? I, I'm confused, right? So, okay, I'm going to give you a different word here. Huh? How long will the ignorant remain ignorant? That's the question. But like when we were talking about earlier, turning the other cheek— This question is a hyperbole. It's rhetorical. It's not like, oh, there'll be a time when ignorance stops. That's his point. That the ignorant will always be here. And there's a reason for that. Because they like it. They like being ignorant. The ignorant loves his ignorance. Whether he's a skeptic who loves to skepticize. Or whether he's just a fool who doesn't want to learn. Rest of the verse there. So that's the first thing wisdom says, is that ignorance, foolishness, and skepticism isn't going away. Wow. Wow. That's kind of rough. Valley of the Shadow of Death, right? Jeez. Yes. Though I walk through it, I will fear no evil. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Turn at my rebuke. Now, the person reading this has two ways the conscience goes. One is the Christian way, which is, oh, I got to turn. How do I turn? Right? Which is good. That's good if you felt that a little bit. Right? And and the other one is like, oh, nonsense. Right? If you felt that one, you're not, you're not a believer. Right? So that's kind of like the only way it happens. There's not really like, oh, I have turned and I have been rebuked. Thank God. Like that, that generally is not the experience. So you have instead like existential terror. Every time you come to this, it just strike existential terror in your, in your heart. You're a Christian, so just the words do what they say to you. Or you're not a Christian. You're just like, you think I'm making up nonsense right here, and you, and you actually think I'm crazy, which well, I, I am, in fact, if you don't believe this stuff. So, um <laughs> turn in my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. So, here she says to all of us who are watching right away, ignorance is not going to go away. She is here to give us knowledge, but... No one's going to listen. And you get this whole section on no one's going to listen and how she's not going to care. And this is where, like, are you sure you want this, Jesus? This, is, this lady Jesus has got more manly than most American manly Jesuses. I just, uh, she, because you've called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand. No one regarded because you have disdained my counsel and would have none of my rebuke. I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes like a storm, your destruction like a whirlwind, distress and anguish upon you. Then you will call on me, but I will not answer. You will seek me, but I will not be found because you have hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of Jesus Christ. You would have none of my counsel, despised my every rebuke. Therefore, you shall eat the fruit of your own way, be filled to the full with your own fancy. The turning away of your ignorance will slay you and the complacency of the fool will destroy him. But whoever heeds me shall dwell in safety and be truly secure. That is without the fear of evil. Oh, dear Jesus, thank you for that. Isn't that good? Oh my gosh, it's good. But but it's also like terrifying. Like I don't want to be on the other side of this God. Dear heavens, thank you, Jesus, for being crucified so that this is not how you see me now. Other than that, you see me as the one who is turned by your rebuke, is terrified by what you say, as opposed to the one who's hardened and ignores what's said here, which is who this will fall upon, all of what it says. And so in the end, we come through this as Christians, hungering for some good word. And here's this gospel at the end, right? Listen to me. We're going to keep reading, right? (laughs) Uh, Listen to me. You will dwell in safety and have this security, not carnal security. Not the security of believing your flesh can't get hurt, but the security of knowing that evil, true evil, can never actually happen to you. So every time your flesh gets hurt and you're like, but that was evil, you can tell yourself, no, Jonathan, that's a lie. That was good because everything will be used for good. And you can know that now. It can't be not used for the good of all in Christ. So fight your most frustrating moments with that promise. Tell, write it down. Tell it to yourself. Look at it. Put it on a piece of art. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, There is no fear of evil for the Christian. It is because we know that nothing that happens to us can be called evil. The problem of evil actually doesn't exist for us now in Christ. Yeah. Bad things happen, and yet we know they're going to work for good. And so I can believe through it. And that's like a superpower. Well, again, that's, that's wisdom. It's the security. It's the security to stand in the face of all things knowing who your God is, which doesn't mean being foolish. doesn't mean risking others' lives for sure. But it does mean never having to bat your eyes at death. Yeah. yeah. That's a new thought for me too. So uh, don't think I'm too far ahead of you on this one. So that's just the first call. But what I want you to see then is, catch this. Wisdom's first call, and I'm not. there might be a second one before we get to eight. I'm not that good at this yet. Um, wisdom's first call, is to warn us that there are evil people in the world, that they will not stop being evil. Hmm. And that to be wise is to know that's not going away, even though Christ has come, until Christ comes again. Right? Um, so, with that, I'm going to go ahead and jump all the way to 8. I know we had another slide that had this set up, but I want to see if we can get a little more. Yeah, so, So, 8 clearly becomes its own kind of climactic moment of the first part of the book or the first volume or the first book, however you want to say it, one through nine. And uh, it is, it's stunning. I mean, no matter how you're reading the book, when you get to eight, it is just different. It just is louder. It's wider. Um, it's more clean. I don't mean that as if the other, other uh, you know, the, the text is not readable or something, but it just has a, a, a gravity. Gravity and poetry to it that Son of Solomon sort of wishes it had, <laughs> you know, um, and nothing I'm against Son of Solomon, and I bet in the original Hebrew, it's better. Uh, I almost guarantee it. But uh, there's something about these words in Proverbs 8. And it begins again by saying this is a public reality there is no secret knowledge here wisdom cries out understanding is evident when it is said right it is the hardened heart that rejects it not the understanding itself that is not understandable uh, so she takes her stand at the top of the high hill by the way where the paths meet she cries out by the gates of the entire city at the entrance of the doors right talking about the gates man psalm 127 that's something i want to dig into in the future but she says again, here's the call to you, O men, I call sons of men, simple ones. Yeah, right, yeah, the ignorant. If you're ignorant, I will teach you practicality, right? That there is a truth that can go on. Fools, do you not like to learn? I can make it so you know all things, she says. Listen, hero O Israel, the Lord our God is one, right? The great Shema. Listen, I will speak of excellent things. Uh, from the opening of my lips will come right things from my mouth. Truth. Wickedness is an abomination, to my lips all the words of my mouth are with righteousness nothing crooked or perverse is in them they are plain to him who understands right to those who find knowledge receive my instruction rather than silver knowledge rather than choice gold this wisdom is better than rubies and all the things one may desire may not be compared with her that is the scriptures revelation right did you catch this right all the words of my mouth are justification nothing crooked or perverse no evil is in them. Wisdom spoken and then written becomes first a claim to Scripture, to the inscribed and in public words of God that cannot be changed. And thank God for copying both ancient and new, because for all the calamity that the Babylonian style multi translation of the book has done in the last hundred years, the fact remains it's going to be pretty hard to burn the Bible at this point. Like to really get rid of it. I'm not sure. Like the planet has to go, right? So, uh, which then again might be the plan all along. Uh, Burned in fire is sort of the way it's all headed, yada, yada. Um, That's fun to think about. But her point, his point, that these words are here and will change your life. How? I, wisdom. Dwell with prudence. That is, I'm really in charge of this. I'm really how it all works. And then, so here in this now, listen to this as if it's ascension of Jesus Christ talk. He, the King, who reigns over all things, watching what's going on. Oh, you just spilled your coffee. He saw that. He knew it was coming. He didn't stop it. He could have. He didn't. Why? Oh, it'll work out. Don't worry about it, right? He dwells with prudence. You believe that about your God. Or you don't believe, right? Oh, you doubt? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about not believing, not wanting to believe. Since you want to believe, Stop listening to your doubts, and start preaching to yourself, <laughs> right? Wisdom dwells the prudence, and he's your God. Your God is wisdom. Look in the mirror, say it. I worship the God who is named Wisdom. His name is Jesus Christ. He will not lead me astray. It's true. It's true, right? Why is it so hard? Because you listen to too much TV elsewhere. That's why. You let other people, other talking heads, other gods, other images tell you what to think. Um, so, uh, she-wisdom. Dwells with prudence, finds out knowledge, discretion, fear of the Lord, right there again. Remember how uh, at the start of the book, this is the main point that's got to be brought up. So now when we have the climax of wisdom finally speaking her great oratory, she goes back to it. To know who Jesus Christ is, Yahweh of the Old Testament, that's Jesus of Nazareth incarnate, is to hate evil, right? You don't like injustice. I bet you the same people who taught the lady in the earlier questions to be bothered by oppression and injustice would not like language about hating evil, even though it, that's what injustice is, right? Evil is injustice. That's the definition. And oppression. Uh, the fear of the Lord is to hate injustice and oppression. The real injustice and oppression of your mind, heart, mouth, by Satan, that great arch enemy. Uh, that said, uh, you know, kind of got to uh, go on and recognize that pride and arrogance are his, the evil way. The perverse mouth is hated by the truth-speaking God. True counsel is, hers, sound, sound, or is his. Uh, sound wisdom is his. He is understanding. There's your word made flesh again. He has strengths. By him, all kings reign. Rulers decree justice. By him, princes rule. Judges of the earth. And he loves those who love him. That is, if you listen to the truth of wisdom, even without being a Christian, you can be a good king. And that gets into, you know, natural law, the revelation that things work as they're supposed to, the design of creation exists and is good and benevolent, all that. And so that all who seek me diligently find me. And look at this, seek ye first the kingdom of God Right? Right? Did Jesus mean it when he said it? Yeah. Did he mean like, you won't be a Christian till you try hard enough? No, he didn't mean that at all. He means that seeking Christianity doesn't backfire. <laughs> it doesn't backfire. Uh, it doesn't get weaker. Uh, and so if you're seeking something and getting weaker, it's not Christianity. Mm, I know. Riches and honor are with Jesus. Enduring riches and honor and righteousness, right? Not the kind of this age, the, the mammon and filthy lucre that so many Christians give their lives to chase it. Uh, no, the enduring riches are of the quiet spirit. That's First Peter 3. He talks about the ladies, but it's good for all of us, the quiet spirit of a gentle heart. All right. That's the real righteousness. The fruit born by faith is better than gold, even much fine gold, revenue better than silver again. So what would you trade for the, all the wisdom in the world? And that's Solomon's great insight, right? That he asked for wisdom above all of the things. Now here's the language that the question really wants to get into. And this is also where the problem shows up with areas. So it says, Jesus. Uh, well, uh, I've started recently translating the Lord in the Old Testament, Yahweh, Jehovah, as Jesus for my own piety's sake. It's quite nice, really. It makes the Bible fun to read. Um, Jesus Christ, particularly Jesus of Nazareth, any of those will do. But, um, so you got to see that here too now, okay? I mean, when it says the Lord possessed him at the beginning of his way, it's not necessarily saying the Father possessed the Son. That's what Arius would say, and what we're saying, I would say, you know, this character of wisdom personified is again an avatar who is the possession of of Jesus as an avatar. The avatar is possessed by Jesus. <laughs> Sounds like demons, right? But it's not. It's how the Spirit of God works in you too. He possesses you with word and sacraments. Uh, um, it's marvelous. That said, again, I say that said too much. <clears throat> so the Father. Did not possess Jesus so much as the Trinity possesses wisdom, who is the avatar of Jesus, so we might understand how God mediates between God and man in the person of the Son, always. That wisdom, always here, seen in Jesus, heard in the voice of Jesus, before any other work of old, was established from everlasting. Now, Yeah, the word speaks eternally. He never didn't. Uh, From the beginning, before there ever was an earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. But here's, the, here's the thing it's this language bringing forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, like before the waters of the deep, yeah? Uh, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While he, yet He had not made the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the world, when He prepared the heavens, I was there when he drew a circle on the face of the deep when he established the clouds above when he strengthened the fountains of the deep when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters would not transgress his command again and all these big things he did when he marked out the foundations of the earth but the point is i was beside him as a master craftsman and i was daily his delight rejoicing always before him rejoicing in his inhabited world and my delight was with the sons of men now therefore listen to me oh 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 last one my children Blessed is he who keeps my way. So you actually are moving into the last Mishal there um, from this longer one that begins further back. Uh, if you want to go find the My Son, you have to go further back into chapter 7. But So this is the trick. You see what happened there? Now, it sure sounds like he's part of the creating order. So I'm trying to find the verses I want to focus on if you're watching online. Uh, I have been established. Let's go to verse 23. What does that mean? does that mean the eternally begotten Son of God who was before time and of whom there was not a time when he was not? And I'm pausing, and I'll say it again because it's really important. Okay, It's not that complex. There was not a time when the Son of God was not. But to say that something has been established sounds like There was a time when it was not. But see, it says it was established from everlasting. Before there was time, right? Okay, so it does sound like him there. Um, Before, but now before the earth, all that, that's fine. But then now when he's there, let's go down to verse 30. I was beside him as a master craftsman. I was daily his delight. Now that's where it sure sounds like the father and the son working together, right? And my delight was with the sons of men. It sure sounds like that. And in that sense, yes, this avatar of Christ, who is Lady Wisdom, truly, um, is speaking. (laughs) But like all typology, like all foreshadow, you have to be able to distinguish where the overlap stops. And the overlap stops at the moment that any of this language would lead you to say that there was a time when Jesus, the Son of God, pre-incarnate, before he became Jesus, that there was a time when he did not exist, and that he came into a being first from the Father. If that's your theology, this text is is going to, if you're it's the best you got, it's not that good, and it's going to lead you into hell, is what the early church said, if you believe that, right? So that's, that's where you gotta be careful. But once you realize, okay, this is the avatar of Jesus, she speaks as Jesus would speak, but does not replace Jesus, and where there are distinctions in person and form, uh, then those are, in fact, shadows or uh, imaginings or speculations or or pre uh, foreshadows, right? All that kind of stuff. Uh, so that Christ, uncreated, indeed was with the Father, and rejoicing in the created that he was doing, as you hear of wisdom doing here, but that wisdom as a created expression of god that when the word of god engages and becomes and makes matter right that that also is a reality that's now built into the creation i'd say fourth commandment is the place to start like it it runs back up into the first commandment but uh, wisdom is the fourth commandment that the father who is adam is named after the father from whom all things come. And that there's something about that reality expressed as creation ongoing, which is wisdom rejoicing in the present, even in you, right? Uh, that this creation that God made, not a person with a soul, right? Uh, but seen and made for you by Jesus, who is a person with a soul now, (laughs) right? Um, is rejoicing around you. Angels, archangels, all the company of heaven, creation, lauding, magnifying. It's all one big, marvelous, supernatural you know, timeline and gift and reality. And wisdom uh, is more than just saying, like the second person of the Trinity here. There's the point at which the avatar enters into our life so that we are the sons of, of, of wisdom, uh, um, that we are the children of understanding, uh, because we can see the world in a way the rest of the world cannot. And that all comes from knowing Christ, not knowing this Old Testament lady, right? And so that's pretty important to see that too. Um, so, you know, listen, my children, blessed are those who keep my ways. It's the same message all the way through scripture, but it's said so clearly here in a way for families to ruminate on and speak about. Memorize, right? Hear instruction and be wise and do not disdain it. When someone tells you you're wrong, right? Learn to listen. Blessed is the man who listens to Jesus. Ah, so you can do it though. Watching daily at my gates. I hope that that's been clear uh, as I've been trying to dig with. I mean, it's it's just not that simple. And so that's why I I feel like I've been unclear. Like you need to be able to look at Proverbs 8 and say, everything that's there is Christ the Lord speaking to me personified. Like that's right. It doesn't mean he was created. And if you got that, you're good, right? You're good to go. So I I think we got there. I think we got there. Ah, uh, Janine Anakin Crudling uh, chimes in to say Lutheran pastor in New York City explained the solution to the so-called problem of evil with God is justified through the resurrection. However, bad things are the resurrection both restores and improves. Thank you for the super chat by the way. Um Well, it is interesting, isn't it, that the word justify means to set right. And there's this weird thing where even though evil is our fault, right? And uh God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit had no part in the catastrophe that we have made. Like, what do you do with the Demiurge? And I'm jumping into Greek Greek, uh, Gnosticism there, but what do you do with the God who ruined everything? What are you supposed to do with that God? If you find out that the only God that there is is one who ruined it all, what should you do if you can? String him up and kill him, I think, right? Get rid of that guy. He made all this problem. And even though that's not what happened, he acted like that's what happened anyway, because that undid it. Like, what we would accuse him of, he took the penalty for. It's pretty, it's pretty sweet, actually. It's super sweet. Like, like, he did not have to, but he did anyway. And so we have nothing. We have no way to fight back with our own justification. It's just it's taken from us. We can't rebel anymore. All we can do is be destroyed, right? Sent into the, uh, sent into the hardening that's already here. But it's It's insanity. It can't be done with logic and reason. It will, it will, it will destroy your mind eventually, uh, if not in this life and life to come. So, uh, yeah, thank you for that again for that, uh, that super chat. I think I have, I think I have uh, one more question from y'all out there. Let's see here. I want to make sure I got all these. Nope, I did get all those points, 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 points. Nope, we're done. So I'm gonna go to chat though. We got at least twenty minutes here. And we did the proverbs, blah blah blah. We go to the chat and see what you guys have been talking about, and we'll just kind of hang out for the last part of the show. I can ramble about Discord a little bit. I put up a, a <laughs> I tried three times last night to make an easy, quick video in Discord via Loom. <sighs> it's like it's like it's like the stuff that says it makes it easy is a lie and they just painted it on with crayon. But it actually says it makes it harder. That's the way tech is in reality, I think. Um, blah, blah, blah. But the point of the, of the video was uh, less about Discord and more about the state of the chill, uh, which is the way I think about this mad Christian network that Discord is going to be our online hub. Uh, the the Us the chill is you, if you are a Catholic Christian who is getting fed by... Whatever is coming from that stuff I'm catalyzing in such a way that it pulls you back that you might find uh, people who are like you here who support you and what you need, right? where you are in this, in this community. I mean, what goes on in the chat room, I know very little of that. I can't. It's just not possible. Um, my wife knows a little more now <laughs> and she's been hanging out. Yeah, and there's, there's great people in there. Uh, from there, Discord takes that and it like spreads it and it gives you space to really divide the con- conversation into things you want to converse about. Um, and right now, again, uh, as I said in the video in, in uh, Citadelia, which is like the public forum, there's where anybody can post anything. We'll take down evil stuff, but um, you know, it, the community forum is going to be gen pop chat. I mean, it's, it's just going to be loud and obnoxious and people saying random stuff. And then the channels that can exist will be connected to the investment of you as an individual in the group. Because if you want a channel that talks about something, we need someone to manage that channel and to be there and be held accountable by us. So if something's going wrong, we ask that person, Hey, what's going on over there? Uh, Cause we can't all just govern everything all the time. We have to trust each other as a network, but that doesn't mean um, that again, the network doesn't have rules. We do, but those rules should allow you to, Honestly, use the network. Uh, The point is I've got a name and a brand that people know and come to looking for this, that, this, that. Sometimes they come because they have this, that, this, that. And rather than me try to keep notes about it all in some little black book somewhere, I just as soon have that all happen in front of you. (laughs) And you can grab what you want. Look at that. I can use that. That'd be great, right? Like that's the idea, right? It's it's kind of – it's what Facebook promises, honestly, uh, and and does not – provide um i cannot promise you that if you're in the meme chat room you will not feel like you're on facebook i mean i can't promise you that but i can promise if you if you start a chat that's geared toward a certain goal and that goal is overseen by pastor by um Uh, by us uh it is biblical and it's in line with catholic christianity and it's about working together to network across time and space whether it's to support your sons of solomon group or whether whatever right um we want to be there to support that at least in embryo maybe someday you need your own uh channel entirely you know your own discord that's fine too it's the cool thing about it is we can link up our private space that we have with mad christianity with many many other spaces so there's all sorts of ways it can overlap and tie us to a wider world of online networking computing and action um It might feel the first time you go in there like chaos, but there are people who are in there being chaotic, like doing programming video games at the same time, right? There are people who can live in that. And what you want to do is then say, I'm not going to live in the middle where everything's happening, but find a corner where you can go. And if you want to go somewhere that I'm going to be, go to the Sons of Solomon channel. You cannot join it as a poster if you're not a guy who has a Bible you carry with you, has a prayer book you carry with you, has a crucifix you carry with you. Um, you can't join to post, but you can see it. And what will go on there initially will be me posting what I'm reading, what I'm thinking about, what I'm finding in the Scriptures every single day uh, for you to ponder and or discuss if you are part of the Sons of Solomon. So start there, if nowhere else, um, and leave it, you know, leave the app on your phone. Go in once a day to see what's there in Sons of Solomon and take some time. If it's just a little note card I took a snap of, well— I probably spent 45 minutes on that, right? There's something there. Uh, and I try to do it so you can read it and, and dig out of it and then go look up the verse yourself. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. All right, got another super chat. I want to recognize over here. Arsant Angel Fire says, I've been daily praying the Psalms, yes, uh, and just tried singing and chanting them with the point in the LSB, which isn't a bad thing. What tones do you suggest for the ones you laid out in the, in the SOS? I speak them. Um, I chant at church. I think that, that when you're doing them in group, chanting is, is fairly important. I think that soloing, uh, I get a lot more out of speaking precisely because I don't do it like straight through, right? So if I were to chant, I would feel the need to go on. And what I tend to do, and it's a little weird, I guess, but I intermingle my praying of the Psalms according to the Sons of Solomon plan, uh, morning, noon, and uh. If I can before dinner and then in the evening, intermingle it with a combination of uh, mindfulness slash attention burst training slash yoga slash breathing and stretching, right? So if, if you trigger on mindfulness and yoga and you're worried about me, Stop. Like, I'm not actually doing those things. I studied those things, and what I'm doing is I'm breathing, I'm stretching, uh, I'm resting, and I'm pondering uh, the words of Scripture over time, right? So that I do three psalms over 15 or 20 minutes instead of over three minutes. And if you're going to chant them, you're going to end up in that three-minute space, right? So I come back to them, I try to memorize them, I try to ponder them, I let my thoughts wander and then be restored by them. I want them to be a framework, For who I am. And I think that'll happen more if I let who I am out in the middle of the prayer, if that makes sense. Uh, So, to recommend chanting, I, I don't for this practice right now. But if that's your thing, though, too, and this is a Sons of Solomon reality, like we do not want to micromanage your devotion life or your small group devotion life at your local church. Like we want to give you resources and tell you stuff that all Catholic Christians can do. And we don't want to tell you, like, well, but you better do it like this or you're not going to be cool, right? Like that's. Yeah. So look, if you want to chant it, chant it. Um, I'm not. I'm going to get in trouble from somebody who's going to be like mad I said this. Uh, I'm not a fan of the chantons in the LSB. I think they're pretty. Lame, boring, I just broke my tooth. Pretty lame, vanilla. They're okay. I mean, they're not evil. They're not wrong. It's not really that good. And um, frankly, LBW was better, um, which is amazing to say that in so many ways. What I've done is I've written about eight or nine that we cycle through here um, at St. Paul seasonally. So they're not only just written... Uh, to be, but they're written to fit with the seasons of the church year to try to move us through the year. Um, And uh, we're in our second year now of them. And what I found most illuminating, I've loved them all ever since I wrote any of them. And uh, a number of them I had, particularly in my own family, complaining about it. And it's great that the the year when they start coming back, I hear people saying, ooh, I like that one. Ooh, that was the same one they complained about last year. But uh, with that said, uh, I... I went on the hunt for other tones and found my own for my ear to be able to enjoy singing it rather than fight singing it. And I don't think it's that tough. The secret sauce, honestly, uh, is to have a four-part tone instead of a two-part tone and make sure that your psalm or, or what you're singing is set up to be sung in in four uh, line stanzas because not all psalms break down that way. Um, and uh, that circular four-part thing fits our American style pop chorus reality uh more than the ongoing Gregorian kind of two-part thing. Um and so uh yeah. So that's that's kind of the secret sauce in my world. Um and then one of the other things that you can you can do, and it's really not that tough, is you can take whatever your favorite song in the world is right now. Like I don't care what your favorite song is. I don't care if it's evil, right? We're not doing this in church. This is you, right? Okay, so what's what <sighs> Um, here we go. Let's Um Ed Ed Curran uh just popped into my my head. Um we'll do I see Fire. Da da da. There you go. There's three notes. Da da da. Da da da. So da 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 da. Da da da. Da 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 da. I I did a really bad job there cuz I'm on camera and I'm doing it live, but I just kind of took a couple of notes out of Ed Ed Curran's song. Now, if I just kind of hum that a little bit, because I know the song, it has to be a song you love, right? I can't do it with a song you love, you got to do it with a song you love. And you just kind of get a, like four of the, the parts of the, the main chorus, right? The four tone movements it makes, and then just sing the Bible with that. Try it. It's, it's like way easier than you think. If you know the song, you're singing the song in the car, rah, 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 you can do it, totally can do it. And yeah, no, we don't need Les Zeppelin in church, please don't bring your setting of, of over the hills and far away uh, for Psalm 118. actually it might work. that might be okay. but you know, <laughs> you know it, the point of this is that you're not trying to reinvent worship for the world. The point of this is you're trying to be devotional and you have to like it, and that's okay. you can. It's not that tough. Take the stuff you like and use the Word of God with it, you know um Hopefully that helps. Uh, What's my opinion on Metrical Psalms sitting at the bottom of the list? This is like what the Calvinists would do with their old hymns, right? I love it. You you paraphrase the psalm into a singable piece and set it to music. Uh, Marty Haugen did a lot of this too. Um, I think it's great as long as you don't replace praying the actual psalter with it, right? Uh, So it's sort of like any hymn. The hymns are great, but they shouldn't replace praying the psalter. Uh, Then When they have done that, you've placed the Word of Man over the Word of God, Uh, yeah? Um, So... Uh, I think any type of poetry that attempts to bring forward what the scriptures say in words that inspire is is the confession of the faith, and we should do it. It's the good witness, and we should do it. Um, and you know, localities can can make more use of this, like it's a local thing. Um, we don't have a lot of this in our uh, in our church body, unfortunately. At the LCMS, there's some, um, yeah. So, mm-mm-mm-mm. just watch the four chord song on YouTube. It says Darth, make laugh. Then use those four cards. right. Uh, see what. This would be like the most repetitive psalm chant ever. Baby Shark, right? Do um, do It's like the same. Three. Yeah, that's awful. And I did it to you. I did it to you. Ed Sheeran. Yes. Um, Ed Sheeran. Uh, he's got pretty amazing stuff, although sometimes his language can be a little Eminem-esque, like literally. So... Still got 10 minutes here searching for a topic from the side to continue us through. Um, Darth Mick went to get coffee. I could use a little more. Always, always, always. I see my wife's been chatting with you all about a possible springtime book tour. The idea here is that, um, well, I'll I'll be frank. The idea here is that my wife really likes some people who live in Waco, Texas. Um, Really, really wants to visit them and learn from them. And it's awesome. And I want to support that. And so we're going to make a trip to Texas next year. And, cool deal, a church in San Antonio has asked me to come down and talk about, talk them into it. And so we're going to be going to Texas as a family on vacation over time having one Sunday in San Antonio and uh, sometime in Waco and we thought, well, what if we just tried to stop anywhere we could and talk on the way? Um, So if you would like me randomly to stop at your congregation sometime next spring, potentially on like a Thursday night and do a little bit on, we can do anything. Talk them into it. You want to do without flesh. What does your congregation need? Broken? I feel like like the guy (laughs) I remember house sitting a seminary student's house. He was like a second year and I was a first year. We just got there and they were going home for Thanksgiving. And my wife and I got to stay not in a cruddy apartment, but in this really nice rented house for like three days, four days. I remember watching cable because I didn't have TV or cable at that point, And I don't need it now for sure. Um, but I remember watching late night cable, and I was on one of those late, like uh, Christian channels, right? This is like, oh dear heavens, early two thousands. TBN, does it does it still exist like this? I don't know. Um, and I remember this guy, and he was he was sweating. It's like a commercial. It's like a, a minute long commercial. He's sweating and he's shouting, and he's got these rags, these prayer rags, and he's throwing them in the air and he's wiping his face with them and he's shouting how if you call this number, he'll send you. Th- <laughs> what i feel like but uh, you know i would love to stop by your congregation particularly uh on our vacation next spring um and uh and have a chance to talk with you about any of the stuff i've done that you want to hear more of don't really need to debate things right although a debate would be interesting you want to set it up with a local guy who hates me that'd be fascinating let us know but by and large I'm hoping to come through and just be friendly uh, and uh, encourage you on your journeys wherever you are um, not necessarily looking to get paid although at the same time making the trip if you want to help us that's great too right so um, my wife's been chatting in the side and if you uh, want to send an email through refistacom slash contact I'll get you in contact with her as well what we want to do is try to hit as many as we can and if it works well enough um, well Texas this year and what East Coast West Coast <laughs> into the fray. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you, honey, for doing that work this morning over there. 1051. Uh, which church in San Antonio? Asked Derek and Melanie. Um, and I'm going to say... I'll let you know. <laughs> it's like Biden on the Supreme Court. After the election, I'll tell you. I brought it up. I did. I At least it's in the last 10 minutes. The fly the uh, the fly I can't believe even Al Mueller talked about the fly and here's what I was asking myself in the mirror this morning are you sure the fly was even real how do you know that fly is not doctored into that video you ever seen a fly do that that long you ever see i have a guy have a fly in his hair that long and not notice Now, maybe it all happened. How do you know? Did you ask Pence himself? If they had, if you read the New York Times piece on someone in the room saying, I watched the fly for two minutes in the room, oh my gosh, and the second corroborated witness, oh, I swear, it's published in the New York Times, it's published on CNN, it's on Fox News. Why should I believe that? What have they done that gives them the credit for me to think that they wouldn't do, what, a transposed fly, Marvel style, onto this debate. Now, I don't think that's actually what's happened, but I want the point to stand. We have no reason to think or to trust them not to do that. Whoever's up, whoever. You live in Babylon, man. This ain't Puritania. <laughs> You're in Babylon. And they can lie with computers through pictures. So the fly, we all covered the fly. It's the least important thing. You didn't even know it was there. You don't even know it was there. You know what you know you know what you can know was there? The words, although they can fake that too, but the words of the people who spoke. And I, I, I'll just maybe close with this. I do not remember in my lifetime ever hearing anybody in any political office speak in pro-life terms the way Pence did. I have never heard someone be so clear. You already know what I'm thinking, right? You already know where I'm at. Uh, that issue, human life, what other issue is there? You want some other laws to protect humans who, who made it. Good for you. But there's all these humans that aren't making it because we're just butchers. So I'm going to vote for the not butchers, especially the not butchers who say, oh, we won't do more butchering. And then you go read their platform. and Oh, yeah, they will. Of course. I mean, they're all lying. Duh. Just who's who and what what. Hmm. Although I think Trent, P- Pence convinced me he's a Christian, but it's not up to me to judge that, is it now? No, oh, no, no, no. And uh, the, the point in all of this is to recognize it, we live in the matrix. I mean, it's not the matrix. You're not. You, we don't need to get pulled out and shipped off into some floating spaceship in weird, weird place. But you live at a time when they can make that screen do and look and say anything that they want at any time. And yeah, right now the complexity of faking that many coverages of somebody's head with the fly is probably unlikely. But it's also not impossible now. And so the point is not, again, you know, did they fake the fly? The point is, why do you care about the fly? Why did anybody talk about it? That's the most useless thing. God, I should go all audio. Make us listen to these people talk. Do pure Joe Rogan, no video. Goodness gracious. Because it's just, it's just the level of barbarianism that the discourse is in at this point. The mook, you know, the, the foolish man who laughs at the pain of others, that's civil discourse. Back and forth. Shout and And that fly, man, I mean, here I go, right? But it says it all. Why are we even talking about it? I just changed the topic. You got something else? Uh, let's see here. I turned you guys onto it now, too. Um, don't watch TV, says Darth Man. Good for you. I watched it on Twitter. I didn't see the fly, though. I left before that. I couldn't take somebody. know. Uh, I hate saying this stuff. Um, but it's so true. You know it's bad when you're sitting there and you're like, you know, Hillary was more likable. She really was. Like, not it's not even close. It's not even like, well, it was neck and neck, but Camel is just a little ruder. Like, it ain't even close. Like, <laughs> she is the rudest person I've ever seen talk in public on TV in that kind of level. Biden was dismissive. Trump is the orange man. She's a bad person. <laughs> I don't think Biden's, I think Biden's kind of like a, he might have like that, the grooming thing, right? And all that. But outwardly, he's not just like this constantly rude, vindictive person. Trump kind of is a constantly New York person. Um, I don't know what to describe the level of, uh, of interruptive sneering uh, that, that passed for womanhood um, in that conversation and that would say of course I'm mansplaining now again so um welcome to the team patriarchy team patriarchy oh I didn't want to mention that so in discord we had um team patriarchy that's the t-shirt someone want to make a team patriarchy t-shirt so I can buy it um do it uh t- 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 and I lost oh yeah in the Christian Discord there was a question here's the question so we got the Sons of Solomon men committed to carrying a Bible carrying a prayer book carrying a crucifix and praying certain psalms every day and that is there you can find it in Sons of Solomon you can start getting support you can start your own men's group in your church and we'll help you do it as best we can Um, so all that uh, contact us via redfist.com slash contact Um, blah, blah 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 there was a question can women join too? now Forgive me for distinguishing my um, long, my long walks, ladies, we stand at the precipice of a moment in history. I'm not kidding. I'm not. I should have some really cool music. Like either we go down, like our Western civilization goes down beneath some other civilization that has violent warrior men. Or we acknowledge that men are going to do stuff, and no, you can't. Until we let the men do that somewhere, somehow, we're going to keep watching this chaos. So while I appreciate it, I really do, Right, the piety is good, but the instinct is wrong. So the instinct, I encourage you to channel, to channel into a different set of prayers, don't pray the Sons of Solomon prayers. How about you pray, uh, i got to remember what I called it, <laughs> uh, Children of Wisdom. I think that's what it was. Why don't you pray the Children of Wisdom Psalms and Proverb? So there is now also available in the Mad Christian Discord in Citadelia, I believe it is pinned, uh, you can see a recommended psalm, a proverb chapter, and a, another psalm for ladies who are concerned about the future of Christianity and believe, believe we actually need the patriarchy back. Like we we need a patriarchy. We lost it. We destroyed it very slowly over time, and look what happened. So time to remember the fourth commandment. Uh and and if if you want to believe that and pray for that, those three things that have been posted there, I forget, I forget which ones are there off the top of my head. I know that all of Proverbs 31 won't hurt you. Uh it really won't if you're reading it every day for a year. Promise you, it's good. It's freeing. You don't have to earn your salvation. You're saved, and this is who God wants you to be. It's so beautiful. So mm-mm. Go do that, ladies, please. And then emphasize this, right? Encourage the men. When they're like, we're going to go do a men thing. And some ladies like, oh, why not? Why, just the men, huh? Yeah. Is that wrong? Is it wrong for men to be men? Where did we get that idea? Then you complain that the men won't lead and the young men won't join the church. Of course, the young men won't join the church. I was recently in a building where I looked at the wall while I was facing the wall. Now, ladies, you probably don't have this happen a lot. You don't face walls. Men, when we're out in public, we face the wall every so often the only way to, to do what we're doing. We'd rather not sit down. We don't have to, and it's dirtier. Yeah. So we face the wall. So I was facing the wall and I looked to the side and there in the place where only facing the wall happens, right? So like it's not really a place where girls are. There is the girliest picture of a Bible phrase I have ever seen in my life. It was something that I, I don't even remember what it said because it was so girly, I was almost like ashamed to look at it while I, I finished my duties, right? And washed my hands was like Now, what's going through my head there is is scoffing a little bit, but really what should go through your head is there is So imagine the 12-year-old boy who's in that same place, and that's his image of the man's room. And then you wonder why they don't know how to dress. An act. There's been a war on manhood, and pray for the patriarchy. We're not going to get it back by trying harder. We'll just be toxic. But these prayers, I mean, it's not been Accidental those Psalms that I've selected for the sons of Solomon and the stuff I selected for you ladies is not accidental. There is reason, there is purpose, there is power, a power the world does not know, the kind that lets grace and weakness live together, trusting in the design that God has in store according to his word and sacrament, all that. Um, Stand on that. Stand on that. Uh, And let me say it differently. Sorry, I can't stand the hair on my face. I um, had a conversation with my kids in which I was trying to encourage one of them who was expressing fear about something. I was trying to to preach the fear out of the kid. And I was trying to do that not by saying, you don't have to be afraid or don't be afraid or you shouldn't be afraid. Because I don't want the kid to go back and say, like, I have to somehow overcome fear on my own. What I wanted to do was to give him courage to believe in instead. I wanted to give him an example to imitate rather than a claim of what he should not do. And in talking about faith then at that point, that faith is to be so convicted that what God has said is true, that even though the rest of the world says it's not true. And all your experience, everything you feel up to that moment has looked like a betrayal from God. God will yet prove himself true. And the only way the thing you're afraid of happening to you happens is you decide not to believe that God is true. To believe what the world says and not what God says. His narrative is different. It is better. It is otherworldly. And to reject it is to go back to the vomit Of a dark and evil age. Now, one of my kids was really nervous about what I was saying. It sounded like I was saying that we can't fall away. And since we know we can fall away, but we also know God has planned everything, we got into a discussion of election from there, right? Um, Which is always difficult to get into because when you try to talk about election, it just gets confusing. What you want to do is not get caught up in the the mystery of how election works and instead just believe it's what God has said so that when you're going to talk about whether or not you're going to fall away you can look in the mirror and you can tell yourself Jonathan Fisk right that's how I would do it Jonathan Fisk you're never going to fall away and i can tell myself that not because of me but because that's what God has said to me in my baptism i know i will never fall away and the only way i fall away is i stop believing i can fall away Can I continue to say those words out loud while falling away? Yeah, sure, I can harden my conscience that way. But that's, that's like the excuse to try to avoid the reality, which is that the Word of God does not deceive you. It will not make you fall away. So your hunger for it is hardly going to push you further from it. It is inspired by God for you to draw you closer to it. And then that again means... Assuming the promises are yours, not asking, not living in the, sorry, I'm a Catholic Christian, but I'm not a Roman Catholic, not living in the papist fear and uncertainty of whether or not you got enough grace to make it. That's a Baptist fear too, usually. But instead, standing upon the foundation, the certainty and the conviction that you are a resurrected human being, an inheritor of the reign of Jesus Christ, holy of holies, and you stand in the present age, frankly, a God among men, little g simply by virtue of being tied physically to the one who is the God among men, Jesus. His blood flows in your veins now. God the Father sees that light, even if it doesn't feel so shiny. But the shiny is not the feely. The shiny is the verbal confession. The believing against the lies of the devil, which are louder and louder and louder. Rediscover how to preach to yourself is kind of where I'm going to take this one then, right? You have the right to look in the mirror with the promises of Scripture and say they're true. There's nothing unchristian about that. You might surprise yourself with what you know you believe and how afraid you were to say it even to yourself. And how, if you can say it to yourself, it's maybe now less scary to say to somebody else. Right. I'm just talking to the camera, but I think, I think, I think, oh, I winked at the camera. Don't do that, Jonathan. I think it's true so cool. Uh, if you love the show, if you love what I do, Patreon is really like a third of how I make, uh, fifth, fourth, a fourth how I make my life go around. Uh, and as I look into buying, I mean, I want to, I want to get this thing on wheels, shaky, 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 and solid and firm, right? And I want to have things that do this, so we can look at things, blah, 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 right? That all costs money. So if you're willing to help out with that. Patreon is how that happens. Um, five bucks a month is the subscription for the show. And that really is um, kind of what we're built on. Although those of you who like to give that bigger number, that is super helpful. Um, I got an uh, a email this week from someone who asked, what about non-Patreon? I don't want to support Patreon. Are there other ways? Yes, there are. So contact via email via, for that. Um, you know, the old fashioned way does work. Uh, and uh, we'll, you know, again, contact via email if you want that information. But your help is needed now as much as ever. In that, the more that I do, uh, the more we see what can be done, right? And the more I want to then funnel into completing this project here, this studio, so that we can continue using it to forward some of the Solomon gatherings and other things in the area that would bring people locally, start to hub locally, um, all that kind of stuff. So, cool. That's Patreon. You already know about Discord. You get a free invite. Join Citadelia. Uh, It's chaos for the good of the world. (laughs) Uh, uh, Take that with a grain of salt. Um, And um, mm -mm -mm -mm, I think that's all of the Mad Mondays. I didn't mention Mad Mondays yet, the newsletter that is the newsletter above all newsletters. It's not because I say crazy stuff at the start. It's because of all the data mining that goes on afterwards from the random stuff that actually might be useful to the most important things to consider as a Christian in this day and age. So you can sign up for Mad Mondays at RedFist.com. Just click on newsletter. I believe there's also a link below. Someday I should turn these announcements into videos that I just push play on right now. But I actually like talking to y'all. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. So where can you find a link to the Discord channel? Um, there you go. Baron Albatross gave it to you. When you get in there, by the way, I've been trying to invite people directly to Sons of Solomon. And they're showing up in Discord, but not in Sons of Solomon. And we haven't found a way to see, like, who's come in and make sure they're going to the right place initially. So if you get there and you're confused... It's new as a community. Ask a question. There's usually someone around and you'll get an answer with a link, right? So it looks like chaos, but it's all hyperlinked to itself. And once you find your way to your home and a couple of people can show you around, um, it's, it's easier than Facebook. Facebook is way more complicated than Discord is. Uh, you, just, you just aren't aware of how much you've learned from Facebook over the last, what, 12 years? Is it that long? Have we been away so long as our breath been so dry? yeah all right cool all right everybody yeah it it is um it is a blessing to be here with you walking this journey Uh, every saturday i i fear coming on i worry i won't be able to give you what i gave you last time i worry somehow that the man that's me will get in the way so uh continue to pray for me please uh that i would overcome that fear with the knowledge that the promises that you speak to yourself and hear your pastor speak to you, that I speak to you, that they're also good for me. Uh, uh, so that I might continue to do the work here uh, as one who believes in the same hope, the same hope. He is risen. You are paid for. It means you're immortal now. You won't be long anyway. And the water sealed it and the bread, and the wine, they feed it. This is Christianity. You should join us. Stop mallow- <laughs> mallowing. Oh, I did it again. Stop wallowing in the muck with those who have no hope and lift up your head all the more as you see the day approaching. We'll catch you soon. Rock on. Is that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please? <laughs>